Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Good morning, and welcome to the most anticlimactic radio show in sports talk history. What the hell are we supposed to do, Sean? Don't call me Seth Myers. Huh? Got, got the Joe Show liner already in there? Who do we have on as a guest today to, 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 to top this? I don't think any way we can top what this week has been. Do we have biblical figures on, on the show today? I, Moses? I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't know how to top this. This is like the day after, I was telling those guys, the day after a wedding. You know what I mean? The reception was last night, and it literally was. I went out to Domenico's and met Ron and his lovely daughter, Taylor, who I've never met before. She's wonderful. Pomp showed up with his friend, Jared, whose last name I don't know from KDKA. All kinds of people. Jared Barton. It was Ron's little crew from Domenico's. It was like, it was like cheers. Where everybody knows Ron's name. It was. At the end of the night, he brought out little bottles of whiskey, I think. What are the miniature ones called again, Sean? The miniatures. Yeah, the miniatures. And he handed out one to everybody, and then he gave a tearful farewell. It was like, I swear to God, it was like Norm saying goodbye on Cheers. I don't even remember what happened on the last episode of Cheers. Do you? I I don't. Do you remember the show? Yeah, I never really watched it, but yeah, I mean, it was I was around during that time. It was so sad and bittersweet, and his refrain was, "I have a lot to look forward to, but I'm leaving a lot behind." I mean, it was a it was a freaking tearjerker. It was. I don't want to sound morbid here, but I think the great thing about what you and, and Pomp and everyone here was able to do is that a lot of times you hear stuff like that after someone passes and they don't realize how much they mean to everyone. Yes. This past week, I think Ron, if he didn't already know, realizes how much he means to everyone. And that was a great celebration of that. It was a living sports talk funeral, right? He did. He got to find out how much he, me- he meant to everybody. Did you? Were you here at the end of the show? I was not. I was tuning in. So I'm actually one of those people. uh, If I'm in the car, I always have the station on and I love listening to you guys. But if I'm home, I generally am doing other stuff. I don't listen. I made a point to tune into the Odyssey app in my living room for the entire last segment, which honestly could have gone an hour and a half. And I don't think anyone would have complained. I just wanted it to keep going. Can you believe how that turned out? And, And then after that, you should have seen it. 
for those of you who weren't aware or um, still might not be aware, we had Joe Green and Joe Namath lined up somewhere between 10, uh, 1.30 and 2. Joe Green was landing in Vegas for the Super Bowl. And he was, uh, he said, just try me. It's going to be touch and go. You know, plane's got to land on time. I've got to be somehow available. Started to get late with him. And then Namath, I lost all hope for. I really did. I had spoken to him the day before. And at the end of our conversation, he said, and I think, what is he, 80? Is that right? He said, my, my memory is still pretty good, but you might want to send me a text at 1 o'clock. So I thought right then, this could be problematic. And it was problematic. I still don't know how he called in. Do you know why, Sean? He called the fan fan number, the caller number. Nobody gave him that number, except here's what happened. Somebody called City Limits yesterday, a.k.a. Mr. P, and said, I'm Joe's, when we were panicking, right? And, of course, Ron didn't know what was happening. The whole thing was supposed to be a surprise for him. And somebody called in who was somehow distantly related to Joe Namath and said, uh, I'm gonna, I'll let him know that he needs to call. Somebody just from out of the blue. We had been frantically trying, and with the number that he gave me and other numbers and everything else, he called the hotline, like, Joe from Beaver Falls or Joe from Sarasota, Florida. He called 412-928-9370. Joe (laughs) Namath and city limits to his eternal credit, his everlasting credit. Notice the number that came up. We have, what, eight lines back there? Yeah, I'll give him a ton of credit because especially on a busy show like that where he was calling people, sometimes that can go under the radar. Why would he even look at the fan calls in the last segment when we weren't taking any more calls? Why would he even look there? But he did. This was like the Immaculate Reception. And I think you said it yesterday. It was kind of a bookend for Ron, right? That's what got him into sports. It was perfect. We're going to listen to that in a minute, but... Then what happened after that, right after the show, you should have seen it, Sean. Ron leaves the studio, and everybody who was working here, salespeople, bosses, other talent on the air, lined up in the hallway and clapped. It was like the end of An Officer and a Gentleman with Richard Gere. You remember the end of that movie? They're in the factory or wherever one of them she worked, I guess. I don't know. And he picks, he walks in and picks up Julia Roberts and takes her out and everybody in the whole place clapped. Do you remember the end of that movie? Can't say that I saw it, unfortunately. The only way I've, I could have recreated it better was if I had picked up Ron and walked him over to the stairs. It was unbelievable. And that's what finally got me. Everybody clapping. Of course, he wanted no part of it. He gave a couple hugs and then walked out. And everybody kept clapping through the glass doors as Ron walked out the door. Now I'm going to start crying again. This really is like the day after some major life event. 
Yeah, it's uh, it, it's so difficult to try to move on and, and focus on anything else. But uh, I'm sure if you asked Ron, he would say, "Don't don't worry, don't think about me. I'm I'm history now." So just talk about the big sports stories. But yeah, you know, from the very start, 14 years here, and then of course, what do you say, 40, 44 years, 46 years overall as a writer and everything in this area. It's just yes. incredible. It really is like sports. It's like an athlete or a coach in that the game goes on here. And I guess this, for the time being, at least, this is the Joe show. It's not cooking Joe. It feels very weird. When I walk up those stairs every day, I see the back of Ron's bald head. The guy gets here at 5 in the morning. I don't know how, but he gets here, and he's usually playing solitaire. I walk up the stairs. He's up in the glass conference room, and I see the back of his head every day. I get a text from him every morning at about 5 a.m. with some show ideas. That's done. He's taken his last carry. He's thrown his last pass. He scored his last touchdown. But we forge ahead, right? Actually, we don't. We go back to yesterday's show because I wanted people to hear the ending. And I had so many people texting me, tweeting me, saying the end of that show is something I'll always remember. Like they went back and listened to it. I went back and listened to it. My wife hates the show. I mean, she hates sports talk, I should say. She hates every sports show. She listened to it live, which was an absolute miracle. She listened to it live. So why don't we take people back to the final segment yesterday of Ron Cook's fabled sports media career. And I'm the type of person I imagine a lot of people out there are where everything could go great, you know, whatever, with a presentation or a day at your job or a week at your job, but you can't stop thinking about the one thing that went wrong. You could walk into a room and 8 million people could be clapping and cheering for you. And then there's one guy in the back who's booing. And that's all you think about. Maybe there's ego related here. Maybe too much pride. I don't know, Sean, but, but I wanted the show. I wanted the show to end perfectly. It's like a good story, a good book, a good movie. You have to, it can be great. You have to have the perfect ending, right? Well, I think the good news for for you and for everyone is that you were able to provide that yesterday. Well, I didn't provide it, but I, it, it just happened. I helped, but we were, I was panicking and I was sad and the way everything had gone over the course of the week with help from you, from, from city limits, from Nelly from past producers like Horse and Folsey who opened up the Rolodex all week for people like Terry Francona to Bob Pompiani to Pony to the boss here, Craig Riley, to everybody, made the whole week happen. And then we get to the last segment of the last day, and I pictured a little tiny Ron Cook in Beaver Falls. Maybe six-year-old Ron Cook with a beard, right? Worshipping Joe Namath. And I felt like that's what inspired him to get into sports in whatever form he did, first playing it and then covering it and writing about it and talking about it for all these years. What better way to cap it all than to have Joe Namath, his idol, the guy who inspired him, come on at the end of the show? This, this was going to be better than, than the Jerome Bettis last act. So let's take you to about 
I don't know, 1.45 p.m. The show's supposed to end at 1.53. Who's kidding who? We never end on time, a segment or a show. But still, I'm, I've given up hope. Joe Green has landed or not landed in Vegas. I understood that he was incredibly busy. And I understand that Namath, very busy man, may have forgotten. I think I made up a story that he hey, he had a flight thing. I wasn't even telling the truth there. I, I, I was panicking. I was in full panic mode. And then it happened. The perfect ending. Even perfecter or more perfect because it came out of nowhere at the end. So I'll take you back to about 1.45 p.m. yesterday as I'm desperately buying time and giving up hope. The game appears to be over, like the famous Heidi game with Joe Namath, except his team lost that game. We won this one. Somebody on the uh, line. Ron, hey, Ron, would you I like to talk which, to? I don't know which Joe it is, but it's going to be somebody named Joe. Oh, please. The best Steelers player of all time. Oh, oh yeah, baby. Oh, Joe Green on the line. Hello, sir. Hello. How are you? Hi, Joe. How are you? I'm fine, Mr. Cook. I'm fine. I appreciate you calling in, man. My goodness. So you just got tired of the fuss, huh? I got tired of it. You know, you know when it's time, you think, and you're not 100% sure, but I'm ready to try to do nothing for a while, Joe. That's all I want to do, nothing. Hey. I I I I cheer for that. Doing nothing is great. <laughs> well, you want tremendous. I cheer for that. Doing nothing is great. So I figured, all right, we salvaged it, right? Somewhat. I was still going to take home the Joe Namath letdown, and probably think about that all night. By the way, Donnie Football has weighed in. Sean, don't call me Seth Myers. And he says the last scene of she- of Cheers was everybody leaving for the last time when a guy knocks on the door and Sam Malone says, we're closed. Oh, my God. I feel sadder about that than Ron leaving. Yeah, that's that pretty depressing. I always think of the last episode of Seinfeld and how goofy that kind of was where they ended up in jail. I know that was much I didn't debated. See that. But yeah, it's the, always the ending of MASH, which is my favorite show of all time. Didn't it end with Henry Blake? Dying, I think. Thankfully, we didn't uh, replicate that yesterday. No, but like I said, it was a death of sorts. It was the death of the Cook and Joe show. But anyway, you know what's going to happen is today's the day I'm going to feel sad. And again, that mimics funerals, weddings, where you're so tied up in in everything and everyone and, and looking after people and distracting yourself. And then when the event is over, the next day happens and the feelings come crashing in. You might have to take me out of here on a stretcher. I might that have happened to, be, to Ron one time. I, <laughs> I might have to be airlifted out of here today, Sean. Vinny told that story yesterday, by the oh, way. Oh, that was, I heard that was great. I heard a detail I'd never heard. I knew, in fact, I walked past Ron. I was doing the afternoon show with Malsey, and it was Ron and uh, Vinny and Cook. And Ron seemed to, his head seemed to be bobbing in that little, the little conference room back there. I didn't think much of it because he, he seemed to have a bobbing. He was like a, a walking bobblehead every day. But I guess he bobbled down that night or that day and they carried him out. And when the cops came, the cops said to him, did Vinny do this to you? Which is an unbelievable line under the circumstances, isn't it? I'd never heard that piece of the story. Did you? No, I, I, 
So that was uh, that was hilarious. And, you know, Vinny, th- those guys, obviously, I think they both said they butted heads would be an understatement, but you, you see how much they care about each other now after the years. Yeah, same with Ron and I. We butted heads. We didn't even like each other for a long time. I don't even know if we still do. But it was a it was a marriage, you know, and we we made it work in the end for the purpose that it was created for, which was to generate good ratings and be an entertaining show. And so this is also the day after the divorce. Why am I here? I guess it's the Joe show now. Anyway, is that what they're calling it? Is that what the the thing at the beginning said? Yeah, as as of today, it appears it's the Joe show now. (laughs) One day only Joe show. So, back to yesterday. Suddenly, without warning, and against all odds, because it was now 1.50, and the show was ending, quite frankly. This happened. Like Terry Francona's from New Brighton. <laughs> yes, sir. All the road trips you've taken. And I said, I want to finish this with Namath. And, and guess what, Joe? No. And we're going to finish. We are. Oh. We're going to finish, finish it with, it Joe with Broadway Joe from beginning to end. Joe, how are you? Talk to Ron Cook. Hey, Ron, it's Beaver Valley, Ron and Joe. Beaver Falls. <laughs> yes, sir, Joe. I'm a Beaver Falls boy and proud of it, just yeah. like you. <laughs> well, thanks for having me on, yet, guys. I appreciate you calling, man. We were just talking about how it's always a thrill to talk to you. Well, uh, I wish more feet, more. I wish more people felt that way. <laughs> <laughs> I think they all feel that way, Joe. You know, how's your health? How are you doing? You okay? Yes, yes. It's it's uh, not a perfect world, uh, but the family's healthy. You know, the grandchildren. Uh, my brother Frank moved on a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we'll be meeting up in not too distant future. But, uh, yeah, I'm doing well enough. Thank well, you. Well, I remember I had. Wow, is all I could say about that. I still can't believe it. I can't believe it happened. And it was the perfect ending. It was like a well, it was like a well-written book the whole week, the way it turned out. How about when, if you could match guests, you know how Sully likes to, to match twosomes on his lines and then figure out the third guy if you could match guests in twosomes francona and calipari would have been the the the, a perfect match well what happens what happens sean don't call me seth myers they got matched up yesterday by accident calipari was going to call in at any point marty tougher his old roommate from clarion who's a salesperson here arranged i wasn't even thinking calipari he arranged for calipari Cal will call you at some point today between 10 and 2. Cool. So right before, and the reason why they're perfectly matched is they're both from Beaver, they're Beaver County guys, just like Ron, and they know each other. So they can have a little Beaver County reunion. So Calipari is on. I mean, Francona's on. He's on hold. It was a power segment starting with Folsey, of all people, doing a wheel of ball. <laughs> The power segment started with Little Folsey doing a wheel of ball. Then in comes Jim Render. So we start building up. 
Not that Folsey's a low place to start. He's a high place to start. But we start building up from Folsey to the winningest coach, I think, in Whitfield history. Is he? Or one of two? I don't know. Yeah, I believe he is legend at USC. Okay. So we talked to the great Jim Render. We're going to fit in Terry Francona as a little extra treat for Ron, a hat trick, if you will, in the segment. But before we get to him, City Limits raises his hand back there. I put on the ear set for him, and he says, Calipari's on the line. You talk about fate. So we get Calipari. Him and Ron are exchanging old Beaver County stories, and then we go straight to Francona for one of the greatest segments in history. You want to talk about legends. Folsey, Render, Calipari, and Francona. And then the other twosome that was matched up, there were a couple of them from the week, Bettis and Ham. And then I can't remember the third one. You had, uh, did you have Leland followed by Shelty? Yes, we did. That one was planned. That one was planned, and that was perfect, too. And Shelty uh, labeling the entire proceeding in Crinculent was a highlight of the week. By the way, we're going to have on our website this week at 93.7thefan.com all those clips together, all the tributes for Ron. And just to say it again, reaching out to all these people this week, and this is a testament to Ron. And I, I, I think ultimately... What drew people to Ron in the sports world, and I'm talking athletes and coaches, was that he was very uniquely himself and that he he made the effort to talk to people as human beings. And that's something I tried to impress upon students at Waynesburg. Did you go to Waynesburg? You're the only producer who didn't, right? Yeah, I went to Penn State. Was use that extra time that you have just to shoot the you-know-what with people, athletes, coaches, training staff, PR people, get to know people, and you'll be surprised at, A, how they are willing then to open up later on, and B, the respect they gain for you, right? And I really think that Ron mastered that in his career. I don't even think he used a tape recorder, and I think that was part of that. I, I think it can be intrusive to just stick a tape recorder or nowadays a phone right in people's faces all the time. You know what I mean? I actually had that, that exact debate last night because, do you know Bill Beckner, the great writer for the Trib? Yes, I do. He does the handwritten notes. Right. And, and I was always afraid. The first few times I covered something for the newspaper, that's what I did, and I said— I'm not good enough to do this without messing up, and I don't want to misquote someone. I think it is a very uh, impressive skill to be able to do that without a tape recorder because I have to go back and transcribe every word because I don't trust myself to get it correct. Right. Me neither. So sometimes I would go with the hidden tape recorder or phone under the notebook. But Ron, I really think—and I had the class do an exercise. You be the interviewee. You tell me what feels more impersonal. Someone standing there looking down at a notebook every once in a while or someone standing there with a phone in your face. It's just very different. But anyway, Ron personalized the business for people. And I also compared him to some of the great archetypes from literature and movies, which, which is the, the unlovable curmudgeon 
who just needs one little turn of the key, and he becomes far the opposite of that. He was the Grinch whose heart was one and a half sizes too big. Was it one and a half sizes, John? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, or one and a quarter. In other words, you're so far on one side that you have all of that in you on the other side. There's no middle ground, right? You're the lovable, the the inaccessibly lovable curmudgeon. Shrek. Ron was Shrek. He was a big green monster going up to people's lockers. But once you got to know him, he turned into the, 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 the Shrek we saw at the end that the beautiful girl fell in love with. Maybe that's next for Ron. He was Ebenezer Scrooge, right? Didn't that turn out that way? Yeah, the ghosts visit him and whatnot. And he turned out to be abnormally nice instead of horrifying, right? Do I have that right, that story? Yeah, you got it. And even Sixth Sense, you remember how that turned out? The little kid was afraid of all those monsters under his beds until he actually humanized them and tried to get to know them. And they turned out to be very nice people. Do you remember that? Sounds just like Ron to me. I see dead people. You remember that line from that I movie? I do, yeah. That's Ron. The horrifying curmudgeon that if you just turn it a little bit, he instantly transforms into not just a normal person, but a lovable teddy bear. Shrek at the end. Ebenezer Scrooge. Who was the other guy? The Grinch. The Grinch who stole Christmas. Ron, on his worst days, would go into your house and steal all your toys and bring them up to his little mountain in the North Hills. On his best days, and the person he really is, is he would recreate Christmas better than it was. That's what I'm talking about. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I I, I somewhat agree with that. You know, I didn't know what to expect when I first started working. He's intimidating when you first see him. He doesn't talk to people sometimes, new people. They're like, what's this guy's deal? He doesn't say anything in the hallway. He's gruff. He's mean. I he think it took him a couple of weeks to figure out my name was actually Sean and not Seth as well. He was really thrown off by that. But yeah, <laughs> uh, again, I, I said it at the end of Tuesday's show. Like he truly, beyond just a, a cohort, he, he was very nice to me in terms of just being a, a good person. Right. And he had great affection for you. He has great affection for you. You're still alive. So not only is he not in his real self the guy who will ignore you and huff and puff and intimidate unintentionally with the beard and the folded arms and the bald, partially bald head. He's a guy who will call you or your significant other on their birthdays. He'll ask me about my kid every day when I walk in. Ask me about my golf game incessantly. Check in with me from time to time just to see how I am. And those stories flowed last night at Domenico's too. Can you play the theme from Cheers at some point in this show, John? I can absolutely do that for you. So here we are a day later, the day after the wedding, the day after the sports talk funeral, so to speak. And we move on. We have a Super Bowl to get to. We have awards rants to get to, and we have Tyler Kennedy to get to. This was Off the Top, presented by J.P. Roofing and Siding. Man, we have a stock show again. We certainly can't outdo what we've done, but we can try. I think I have Fast Willie Parker. 
at 1 o'clock talking about that Super Bowl run and one other play in that game when I think he might have scored a touchdown if things had turned out differently. I don't know about him, though. I talked to him last night. He said 1 or one thirty. I said, which one? He said, whatever, just call me. That made me a little nervous, Sean. Sounds I, like Joe Namath almost. I, it does, right? I called. <clears throat> God bless me. I called Willie Parker yesterday and didn't leave a message. And I've never talked to him. I had a pretty good relationship with him when he was here. I didn't leave a message. And then he called back and I was at Domenico's in the middle of the bar. And I got the distinct sense that when he realized who had called him, he was at least mildly disappointed that it was someone from his past and it was a sports writer. But he felt obligated to talk, and then I said, I, you know, I really would love to talk to you about that Super Bowl, about what you're up to, all that stuff. You're a legend. He is. And that's when he said, 1, one thirty, whatever, just call me. I said, should I text first? He's like, no, just call. So I'm, I'm nervous about that one. I think there's maybe a 40% chance it'll happen. Better than nothing. I think yeah, there's we'll a give near, it a shot. Yeah. We've had a good week so far. Yeah. There's a near 100% chance that Tyler Kennedy will join me next to talk all things Penguins and what an interesting night for them with the Marc-Andre Fleury situation. What, tonight's his thousandth game, correct? I believe it's that's It's against the, the Penguins, and yeah. I, I know we, we're going to hear from um, Sully talking about uh, when ultimately they had to make the decision to move on from him. Yeah, he was really good. And I thought just very real about how that whole situation went down. Um, but it's always a little bit emotional for a lot of people, not the least of whom is Flurry, when these two teams play. Let me make sure I have my facts right. No, he's it's his hundred, it's his thousandth and ninth game. What the hell am I talking about? But they're celebrating it tonight. That's the key. So we'll talk to Tyler Kennedy next. Fan Hotline, presented by Sullivan Super Service, providing trusted plumbing and HVAC service for over 50 years. Fan Twitter, brought to you by South Hills Kia, Peters Township. Visit them at southhillskia.net. And the Fan Text Line, brought to you by Edgar Snyder and Associates Personal Injury Law Firm, where they always say, there's never a fee unless we get money for you. Football fans, FanDuel in partnership with Valley Forge has the perfect way for everyone to get in on the Super Bowl 58 action. With a no-sweat same-game parlay, when you bet on Super Bowl 58 on FanDuel, one game can mean a lot of wins, and I've had a lot of time to think about this one. And America's number one sportsbook has all your favorite money line, bets, spread, whatever prop, whatever you want. I'm going back to Purdy over 12 and a half yards. Are, are, what's going on here? I know what's going on. Most of the time, he didn't get that this year. But when the games get bigger, quarterbacks are more willing to risk themselves, and in the last two games, he went over profoundly over last game, and he will again. He's also going to be under immense pressure, I think, from Kansas City, which is going to force him to run. So go over with him. Start that to build an SGP, a same-game parlay. You'll get bonus bets back if your SGP doesn't win. You can build your own or borrow some or part of an SGP already made for you at America's number one sportsbook. Visit FanDuel.com Starkey if you don't already have an account. 21-plus present in Pennsylvania. Minimum three-leg parlay required. Refund issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Max refund $5 unless otherwise specified. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.
Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows Ron's name. It really was like cheers last night. I'm telling you, I wasn't aware of Ron's little ecosystem out at Domenico's. All these different characters that he's known for years and probably goes there <clears throat> three or four nights a week. And then Bob Pompiani shows up out of, out of nowhere. Everybody knows his name. And everybody knew his name. Yes. And now I know the the name of uh, the other guy at KDK, Jared, except I don't know his last name. Jared Barton. And Horse was there. Horse showed up with Christy. I saw the photo of you four, looking yeah. like the four horsemen. <laughs> it was great. And then Ron's toast at the end just brought the house down. All right. There's going to be another celebration tonight. I think. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah that's Fleury correct. Fleury is being honored for his thousandth game. And for passing uh, Patrick Waugh in the all-time career wins list. That's right. Tonight in Minnesota. Do I have all that right, Sean? It's been a very emotional week. Yes, that I believe is correct. So that should be really fun to watch tonight. And here to talk about that and all, thing, all things penguins and hockey-related is our friend Tyler Kennedy. <laughs> Tyler Kennedy on the Sullivan Super Service Fan Hotline. Tyler, appreciate you coming on again today. And tonight is a celebration of the flower. When I say that name, Mark Andre Fleury, what's the first thing that springs to mind for you? Uh, probably the big save in 09. You know, that was uh, a great save, that big smile. Um, a guy that I love shooting on in practice. He was a guy that made it fun to, to enjoy practice because, one, 
he would never shut up in practice. He was always talking, always in your ear. And I think he wanted you to bring it to him every shot. And that's why he got in your, your ear, you know, again, like he would let you know if he didn't score in a while or, or whatever, you know, but it was really fun. And, um, a guy that I'm really excited to see him, you know, get that many games and, you know, just, just an all around great human being. Yeah, you're talking about the breakaway save in Game 7 on Ovechkin, right? No, I'm talking about Game 7 when it goes far side with like 10 seconds left. Ah, that, the, that save, yes. The, the yeah, secret there's a service lot of, there's save. There's a lot of them. Yeah, but that one secured the win, you know, and that was... And that was that was Nicholas Lidstrom. So that was on a Hall of Famer stick with the Stanley Cup at stake. Yeah, again, like he was... He knew, he can pick up his game when he needed to, and you know he was he was a guy that very he took care of himself a lot. You see him with the shirt off, whatever. He he is shredded. There's some goalies I've played with that are a little chubby, or you know he was a guy that was ate healthy, really took care of his body, and that's why he's been there so long, and that's why he's got so many games. But uh, again, he he made it fun coming to the rink every day. Well. Having covered sports for a long time, there's a lot of pro athletes who appear to be really nice guys or when the cameras are on, they're very nice, and then it changes. But I always got the impression with him that this is a genuinely decent and good human being, and his teammates absolutely adore him. And I'm pretty sure I have that right. Yes? Yeah, every guy loved Flower. He took care of the boys. and You know, again... Uh, he, he was he was a, jo- a joy to be around, even off ice. He was my first ride in a Lamborghini. He bought a Lamborghini, and I remember he goes, oh, "This was like my, my first year." And he's like, "Kenny, you want to go for a ride to the airport? You know, we'll, we'll, we'll drive to you know, we'll, I'll, I'll take you to the airport." My bag barely fit in the back of the Lamborghini. You know, it was squished in there. And he had this blacked out Lamborghini thing was unbelievable. And then he put exhaust on it. So coming out of the city, going through Fort Pitt, he slowed down, let all the traffic like kind of gain some space and he hammered it. And I honestly (laughs) thought the tunnel was going to collapse. This thing was so loud and it was so fun, but that was flower for you. You know, again, it was my first time in a car like that. And he made an experience. That's for sure. How are you feeling about the Penguins right now? They've played, I think, a couple pretty good games in a row. I saw where Josh Yoey wrote, and I tend to agree. I don't know how I feel about it because I like entertaining hockey, but his point was when they play conservatively, they play better, and they win most low-scoring games, and they don't win uh, many more high-scoring games than they lose. How do you feel about them right now, and do you agree with that? Well, especially going near the playoffs, you would, you know, games do tend to get tighter. And I feel like the Penguins have been clawing for a while of getting those wins. You know, it's not easy for them to get wins and they're learning how to win, you know, in those low scoring games, which is huge. because You need to know how to do that in playoffs. Um, the one thing, again, I, I love how they're playing. I think they're, tr- they're really doing well. But when I look around in the league, the teams that they're competing against for a playoff spot, they're heating up too. You know, when I look at the Islanders, Islanders are they're they're starting to play well. 
Jersey starting to play well. Uh, Philadelphia still, they got a win last night, which sucks. So, again, I think it's the biggest thing. It's going to be a fight right to the end. But as long as the Penguins keep, you know, getting those wins and winning those real close games, because when you think of last year, they lost a lot, a lot of games that were by a goal or two. So March 8th is a trade deadline, and you mentioned one team that I think is going to be problematic here down the stretch as one the Penguins might need to beat out. But I also can't figure out what in the world Tom Fitzgerald is doing. He runs the New Jersey Devils, and I have enormous respect for him. They don't have a goalie, Tyler. I feel like if that team had a goalie, like someone like a John Gibson that they could just throw in there and get consistent innings from, so to speak, they would be, I think they would coast into the playoffs. But all their guys are below 900 save percentage. Uh, last night they give up four or five goals. Are they going to get a goalie or not? Well, I think they definitely need a goalie. And when you look at the goals last night, a lot of those goals are those little squeakers that kind of sink you, that get through the goalie. The guy goes behind them and puts it in. Um, and that's what makes the league so tight is obviously the cap. You know, you can't have those high-end players up front and not have a good goalie because it doesn't matter. You know, you need a little bit of everything. You need your young guys to be stars that are on small contracts. You need your goalie kind of before he hits his prime to, you know, make big saves for you. So that's, that's, a, that's a big problem around the league. You know, again, like when you think of the Penguins, they are, one, they have the top guys, but their bottom guys, I think, need to pick it up to be a competitor. You know, I think Jari's playing really well, but that's what makes the league fun. You know, you gotta you gotta mix and match. You gotta make deals, and I'm excited for the the deadline at in March because, again, I think Kyle Dubas is a guy that is going to make some moves, and I'm excited to see what he does because there's not much wiggle room there. Well, speaking of goaltending, if you would have told me that whatever it is, 50 games into the season or so, that the Penguins' two goalies would both be in the top 10 in save percentage and the team would have seven shutouts, I honestly would have said, Tyler, they're battling for the top spot in the conference, uh, you know, let alone the division. But here they are, and clearly the power play has been the biggest problem. Did you sense something maybe turning in the last game? Can they move forward for, from here and have an above-average power play at least? I think so. I think, you know, when we look, look at the beginning of the year, the power play didn't put them over the hump. And when you look at the last game, that power play won the game. You know, yeah. when they needed it, it came through, and that was huge. And when, you know, if the power play was clicking all year, kind of how it was last game, like there'd be no – they would be sailing into the the playoffs like easily, you know, and I think it's one of those things that confidence makes a big, big difference, a big contributor of having a good power play because guys feel better shooting a little bit more. They're not, you know, they're not afraid to hang on it to the extra second instead of like throwing that cross. I saw us um, again, it's just less pressure. So hopefully they can keep it going and, get that thing going because that 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 will really propel them into playoff spot. Tyler Kennedy on the Sullivan Super Service fan hotline. So back to the trade deadline. Again, coming up uh, March 8th, I think it is. 
You're the GM, Tyler. I don't know if you have a name in mind or not, but maybe it's just a type of player in mind. What are you doing if you're Kyle Dubas? What are you looking for? I'm keeping Gensel. I just, you know, my biggest thing is probably is keeping Sid happy. I think they played too well to get into a playoff spot. That top line needs to play how they've been playing. If I think if you get rid of Gensel, it changes that top line, which will be hard for them to compete against other top lines. Um, the bottom, maybe I'd add a little toughness, a little little guy that runs around a little bit, brings a little bit more energy, has a, you know, I don't think they need more of a scoring touch. I think they're they're doing okay in the scoring department. I just think they need a little bit more toughness. Um, when you see a guy like Noah get hurt like that, you know, you wish someone would come in and do something or, you know, stuff like that. Because if it's one of your stars, you're going to want a reaction, you know, and especially coming down, playing teams like Philadelphia, New York, there, it's going to be a rough and tough kind of battle all the way to the end. And I think I'd be looking for a little bit more toughness. Lastly, Tyler, what'd you think of the hit by uh, Brendan Dillon the other night on Achari and the penalty of three games? I think you have to be in control of your body. I think it happens so fast. I played with Dylan. I do not think it's, he's a dirty player. I don't think it was on purpose. I don't think it was malicious to, you know, the way he tried to hit him. You know, the one thing was uh, when he was reaching, when a carry was reaching for the puck, he's kind of put his hand down, his head down, going down the wall like that. You, like you both have to be in control of your body. Um, but again, I have no problem with the three game suspension. It'll, it'll teach them. But I think, uh, a carry has got to keep his head up too, going through the neutral zone, playing a uh, you know, a physical team with guys that are willing to step up. You know, I always say when you get hit through the neutral zone, it's on the, you know, on the guy getting hit too, you know, it's not always the, the guy receiving the hit. I remember when I was playing against certain players, you know, I was thinking this this morning, actually, you know, when you're on the ice with Cornwall of Detroit, you knew knew, through the neutral zone, you better get your head up because he's going to step up here and there and it's going to hurt. So I think it's a little bit of both. um, But again, I have no problem with that three game suspension. Tyler, thanks for taking the time, man. And we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. Have a good weekend. Tyler Kennedy. Sadly, there is no guys. It's not plural anymore, Sean. Thanks, guy. I keep looking over there, and there's no Ron. Usually he's pacing around a little bit, pounding out one-fingered texts, and watching the TV and yelling at me. Do we need to put something in that chair? Like, not a scarecrow, but maybe some sort of remembrance of Ron? Like a tribute? Like a jersey? Yeah, maybe maybe his uh, Sports Illustrated sweatshirt that he wore a lot. You know what I gave him last night? A framed picture of Willie Stargell autograph. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's one of his favorite guys from his career. One of mine too. But I was thinking Now was it was it just Willie Stargell? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What do you mean? Well, I, I didn't sometimes they like a team photo? Yeah, I didn't know if they, you know, had multiple guys in there or if it was just a, a solo show. No, show. it's Willie, man, and it, it it's from his prime. You know, where he's got those mutton chop sideburns and he's going through the, uh, the 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 bat twirl before probably crushing a ball into the seats. It's got to be from like 1972 or something, 73. 
and it's autographed. And I was thinking on the way out of the house, what can I give Ron that he could put up in his new place? I, I didn't go out and shop for anything. So I'm like, you know what? It'd be more meaningful if I gave him something that meant something to me that means something to both of us for him to, and that's not too big because from what I understand, they're going to have trouble fitting all his stuff. Not that he has much of it in his car. That's what his daughter was telling me last night. Like we're not going to be able to fit everything on our trip to Florida. Well, he's going to have to leave some stuff behind, I guess. Fan weather brought to you by Sun Chevrolet. Check out special financing for qualified buyers on new Silverado 1500 trucks. Really warm with some sun today and a high of 62. We're going to talk to Ray Fittipaldo next, and we're going to talk about, I'm really starting to get annoyed. Usually I don't have huge takes on awards or even halls of fame, but I got some some big ones today. I really do. And we're going to talk to Ray about TJ Watt not winning Defensive Player of the Year. Now, 50-minute mark on the fan brought to you by South Hills Chrysler Jeep Dodge Route 19 in Peters Township, celebrating 50 years in the South Hills Miles Garrett wins this award, and I would have had less of a problem if Micah Parsons won it. I mean, when you win an award like this, Defensive Player of the Year, don't you sort of have to clinch it down the stretch? This is what Miles Garrett did in his last seven games as the Browns were fighting desperately for the playoffs. Seven games. And he sat out the last one. They had things clinched. I'm not going to hold that against him. So maybe this should be six games. One sack, seven quarterback hits, zero forced fumbles. That's not exactly finishing with a flourish here to clinch an award. Are you kidding me? Meanwhile, T.J. Watt in the last seven games, seven and a half sacks, eight tackles for loss, 13 quarterback hits, two forced fumbles. He made a drive for the award. Miles Garrett didn't. This is a Lifetime Achievement Award. And I told Ron this yesterday, and I felt like this all along, despite it seems some momentum swinging in TJ's direction, that the voters were going to say at some point one year, he's got to win it, Miles Garrett. This should be the year. Let's vote for him. I don't know, I don't know who voted for who. I haven't seen individual votes. I looked at the AP NFL award voters and some of them are a little curious, like Brady and Brewski, both two expatriates in there. I'm not sure I love that idea. Do you, Sean? No, no, I don't. Yeah. You could definitely get some favoritism with that type of alignment. I see a heavy Boston accent to these awards. I I don't know, man. I, I don't love it. There's writers, There's former players. They tried to do a mix here. There's Dan Orlovsky, who already has a vote for these awards. I don't love it. I can tell you that. And I don't like the... How do eight people leave TJ off the ballot? I think you get five points for first place, three for second, one for third. He wasn't in the toilet? What are we talking about here? He had 50 quarterback pressures to Garrett's 37. 19 sacks to 14. That's not a small difference. It's five last I checked, Sean. More sacks, more pressures, more quarterback hits, more tackles for loss, more fumble recoveries, more interceptions. He had one to none. More pass deflections, eight to three. He had a touchdown. Like, what are we talking about here? 
I love Peter King. I love the fact he comes on with us every week. I respect his opinions. He chose Miles Garrett because of the deep analytic stuff. Like, like here's the pass one. Pass win rate. Is that the pass big, rush stat? win rate? And I read that today as meaning you beat your blocker, but it doesn't result in a pressure or a sack. Then what the hell does it mean? How do you, how do you judge it? How do you judge it? I beat my guy, but I didn't make any kind of play. Maybe I allowed other guys to make plays. And then I see Mike Micah Parsons way in. Somebody ripped choosing uh, Garrett over TJ, and Micah defended the voters. Horrible take. Miles was the better player. Really? Show me how and where. Reality of the situation. Miles faced way more double teams. Did he now? That may be a stat. I want to see that stat. An effect on QBs. Fans, please stop looking at stats and look at the film, please. Invite people in then. Invite people in and let's watch every single pass rush and see who had more of an effect on games. The guy with 69 combined pressures and sacks or the guy with 51 combined pressure and sacks. And TJ had more quarterback hits. Pass rush win rate. Listen, if you want to dive past sacks and go to analytics, I'm good. Pressure, a pressure can be more influential and have a better result than a sack. A pressure can cause an interception. I get that one. That's obvious. Quarterback hit. TJ leads him in both categories, plus sacks. And you mentioned the strong finish. And I know for MVP, that is such a huge factor is what you do down the stretch of the season. Yes. So I don't know why they don't value that with the other awards. You have to, if you have to drill all the way down to pass rush win rate, you're not doing your job. So shame on these voters, really. And by the way, I would have taken, if, if Micah Parsons won this award, don't have nearly as much of a problem with it. Because I watch him play. He's a little bit more versatile because obviously he, in one sense, he can play the linebacker position when he's not rushing the quarterback. So I agree. He his... can for sure. Although TJ had four more tackles than Micah. Yeah. And I think Here's he had more the, okay. passes defensed. Here's the stat I want to see then. And I tried to get Sam Munson and Steve Palazzolo from Pro Football Focus. Last I checked in my email, they were both giving me the Belfont snorkel. What's the stat on double teams and triple teams? Maybe you can convince me then. But you and I watch every game. You're telling me TJ doesn't get double and sometimes triple teamed frequently? And a lot of people would argue that he gets held as much or more than anyone else in the that league as well. That one too. Let's go with drawn holding calls. And if you want to watch the film, you really want to watch it. Pro Football Focus really wants to dig down. Let's have obvious missed holding calls against. And I bet you they both have a ton, but I would love to see that stat. Why not? If you're going to have a stat called called pass rush win rate, which to me, no matter how you define it, would be extremely vague. Like, oh, he won that rep. Did he? Okay, how? What's your definition? Then let's go with obvious hell holds missed. That would be an easier one for me, right? And the other thing is about, you know, winning a a, a snap, for instance, maybe Garrett won more snaps against his opponent than Watt did, but if he 
just, you know, doesn't finish the play, but Watt finishes more with sacks or tackles for loss, I think that counts more than a higher percentage of winning snaps. How do you win a snap if you don't make anything happen on the play? I... Right. That's the, the end result, I think, needs to be more important, even if you win fewer overall snaps. What you're doing with those wins is what really matters. Well, it seems to me, it seems to me that there was a, a Cleveland bias in these awards. I think the narrative was kind of set, what, at the midway point of the season, if not earlier. It must that have been. This was Garrett's award to win. And no, I no, think no. I'm talking about Garrett. I'm Stefanski. talking about Jim Schwartz as the. Who won the coach of the year? Stefanski did, didn't he? Yeah, he just edged out D'Amico Ryans. And he then they did? also had Flacco as the comeback player. And of that, the year. I mean, I'm sorry. I love Joe Flacco. Amazing story. DeMar Hamlin basically passed away on the football field and was revived and came back and played in the NFL. Not only is he the comeback player of the year this year, he's the comeback player of all time if they gave out an all-time Comeback Player of the Year award. So Flacco gets that. You're telling me Stefanski got Coach of the Year over a guy who took a team that was expected to be one of the worst in the NFL and made them a division winner and a playoff. Well, you don't include the playoffs. I get it. But just a 10-game division winner. And then Jim Schwartz as the assistant Coach of the Year, all based on yardage. They were the most overrated defense I've ever seen in my life. They finished... 32nd and last in red zone defense. I'm seven minutes over time here. I apologize, Sean. We have to get to Ray Fittipaldo next. The Joe Show. I didn't know they had done that. I'm not ready for that yet. I'm still mourning, Ron. It's the day after. You were supposed to play Everybody Loves Raymond. But it's okay. That's a good point. I was also, Ron's always here to remind me of that previously. I know. I was also remiss, and my first awards uh, take was a rant against the T.J. Watt thing. It should have been congratulating Cam Hayward for the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. That is a big deal, and he is well-deserving. We're going to play a little bit of his speech, I believe, or an interview that he did. And I was talking earlier with Tyler Kennedy about Marc-Andre Fleury. And I don't really know all these guys, even, even if I've interacted with them a bunch, right? But it had always been my sense with Fleury that here is a genuinely decent and good human being. And I've always had that same sense about Cam. And that's a huge award to win. So congratulations to Cam Hayward for all the great work that he does with people. Uh, off the field, his foundation, just a gigantic deal. He's been knocking on that door for a few years, and now he won it. But I'm not going to stop with my Cleveland Browns defense rant and Jim Schwartz before we get to Ray. Are you kidding me here? Because yards? That's why? Here was the Browns down the stretch. They allowed 31 to Baltimore, 29 to Denver in a 29-12 loss, 36 to the Rams, 27 to Jacksonville, 17 to an inept Chicago offense, 22 to Houston. The Jets don't even count, and they still allowed 20, and then 31 in the last game. They finished, God bless me, last in the NFL in red zone defense and not even in the top 10 in scoring defense. Great job, Jim. Boy, you really rejuvenated that defense. 
Get the hell out of here with this. Let's go to the Nemecol. No, not uh, the S- Sullivan Super Service fan hotline. There we go. For Ray Fittipaldo. Ray, thank you for waiting so long. It's been a very emotional day, minus Ron. It's like the day after a wedding when all the emotions come crashing in. How are you? I'm doing good. Hopefully you have some leftover cookies from from that wedding. But uh, I have to say I'm honored to be on the very first Joe show. (laughs) You're the the first media guest on the Joe show. (laughs) I don't know how long it's going to stay the Joe show, but it is, I guess, for now. What do you make of this, Ray? Let's start with these awards. Let, let's start with Jim Schwartz, because this one really ticks me off for some reason. Usually I don't care, like the coordinator of the year, who cares? And I get that they didn't allow a lot of yards, but I've always disagreed that yards should be the top measurement anyway. Last in the NFL in red zone defense, gashed down the stretch multiple times, and they weren't in the top 10 in scoring defense? That's your coordinator of the year? Yeah, I, I think, Joe, they got a ton of publicity in the first half of the season when they were on pace, I think, to like set NFL records with yardage given up, maybe even points. I think they were halfway decent with points in the first half of the season. But you're right, you know, down the stretch, they fell apart. Houston did whatever they wanted to, to do to them in the playoffs. And I know that's voted on previously, but – they were not an elite defense by the end of the season. So, um, you know, for both Miles Garrett and for Jim Schwartz, um, you know, I don't know who else was up for assistant coach of the year. You know, Ben Johnson probably would have been a better choice in my mind. How about Mike um, McDonald? The Ravens allowed 16 points a game and led the NFL. Yeah. yeah or, or what you're saying. How about, yeah. How about, um, yeah, Ben Johnson, 27 points. What are they doing, Ray? Anyway, what about T.J. Watt? Your thoughts. You know, um, I heard you in the last segment, and, um, you know, the, the Associated Press is a news organization, and I saw the list this morning, as I'm sure you have. Pro Football Focus um, has a vote. Sam Monson, who is based in Ireland, has a vote in these awards and there's no one from the Pittsburgh market and there's no one from other football markets with an NFL franchise in that city. And my point is, you know, you should have people who cover the team who are news people. Um, Doesn't have to be a newspaper reporter, could be a television reporter or a radio reporter who votes on this stuff. Pro football focus is not a news organization. They have contracts with, I think more than half the NFL teams, I think they have consulting gigs with a number of teams as well. So they're, I mean, they're in bed with the NFL. You can't tell me that there's not some kind of inherent bias when you're getting paid, you know, to to work for teams that you, that may not seep into your work. So I'm, I'm sure they would deny that, but, you know, for the Associated Press to, to have, to give a vote to someone who's not even part of a news organization or covers the team on a day-to-day basis. That just doesn't sit, sit right with me. What about having Brady and Brewski? I mean, Brady just finished yeah. his career. If I was going to have X players, it would be guys who are emotionally removed from the game. I'm not right. even talking Patriot bias. He seemed to have a falling out with Belichick at the end. What if Belichick was up for coach of the year right now? Why is Brady on this well, list? Well, Why does he vote? if I'm wrong. Well, Brady is under contract with Fox, but he just doesn't do any work yet for Fox. So he doesn't even 
I, I suppose he works for a media organization, but he wasn't analyzing anything this year. I, I don't know what Tom Brady does in his free time when he's taking this year off, but I doubt he's watching more games than I am or than 95% of the people who cover this league do. Um, you know, I'm sure he keeps up with things, but he's not watching the Cleveland Browns um, as much as, you know, people who cover the league or the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you on that. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's good that they spread it around to websites and, you know, you have TV reporters and, you know, I saw people for Sirius XM. That, that's fine. You know, spread it around. But I think inherently all those people should work for a news organization in some capacity and not, you know, have any ties to the NFL. That's just, that's my opinion. Okay, so we have T.J. Watt leading Miles Garrett in virtually every significant conventional statistical category, including by five sacks, which is a lot, and also by the surface analytical uh, stats like pressures. And I'm, I'm all, I think that's a very legit stat. You have to drill all the way down to things like pass rush win rate to come up with Miles Garrett. I think it was a lifetime yeah. achievement award. I think voters. Um, thought to themselves, we can't have this guy go his whole career without winning one of these things. This might as well be yeah. the year. I don't think he's a deserving winner. No, and uh, is there Watt fatigue? I mean, J.J. won three, T.J. won one. You could argue T.J. deserved another and he now did. another. So, I mean, T.J. could legitimately have three um, DPOIs, you know? And yes. um, maybe that's part of it, too. You see that with the Hall of Fame. There's undoubtedly Steelers fatigue. People just get tired of seeing the same names or the same uniforms, um, you know, be honored. So I, I definitely think that's part of it, but it is interesting. I heard Peter King on your show. What was it, Joe? Two weeks ago, maybe just talking about analytics and how he looks at analytics more than he used to. So that's, you know, that's seeped into, um, you know, people's minds. And I, you know, I, I think I just, all I have to do is watch football to understand it. I don't need to look at pro football focus to realize that TJ Watt is a better football player than Miles Garrett, but there are these metrics out there that, you know, people point to. And obviously Peter was influenced by it. So I'm sure others who have votes are influenced by that as well. It seems to me that the, that the differentiating stat here was pass rush win rate. So if I'm sitting down here, I would first have to know what a guy's given assignment was, and I would, for for example, uh, you have certain stunts, things like that along the defensive line, where your job may be to tie up a blocker or to knock a blocker out of position to create a lane for somebody else. Right. I would have to know what your assignment was, how you executed it, and how exactly do I define a pass rush win if it doesn't result in a pressure a sack, a quarterback hit, or anything else. How is that a win? Especially in today's day and age when quarterbacks are getting rid of the ball faster than they ever have. You know, three-step drops, boom, the ball's out. Does it matter that you're you're winning your block if you're not getting a pressure um, on that guy? So, yeah, I mean, there, there's a ton of um, – uh, like a ton of doubt in my mind with, with even – pass rush win rate means I don't even know what it means Joe and I, I cover the sport I mean I have an idea of what it means but it doesn't mean anything to me uh, I, I guess is, is is what I'm saying so um, 
you know, Miles Garrett doesn't drop into coverage and intercept passes um, against the Rams and turn that game totally in the other direction. Miles Garrett doesn't do that. He, he's not a complete football player in that regard. And TJ Watt does everything, you know, um, you know, the only criticism you sometimes hear about TJ Watt is, you know, his run defense and maybe him getting upfield. And uh, but he, even with that, Joe, he's still one of the better run defenders among rush, rush edge rushers in the NFL. I mean, he, he's the most complete football player, defensive football player in the NFL. So I, I'm stumped why this continues to happen. You might be onto something with the lifetime achievement thing, but you know, the analytics aspect of it, it just, it just, it doesn't register with me. I'm just, I just go by the eye test and uh, you know, that's all that I care about. Here, here's another one uh, in this pass rush win rate BS is passes defense deflections. Basically, if you're a lineman, TJ had more than twice as many, eight to three. So, yep. so if I'm looking at a snap and a guy, he may, quote, lose the rep, but he may give up on the rep and just say to himself, I'm going to try to jump up and tip the ball. So if I'm at pro yeah. football focus, by the way, I have two me- emails out that they haven't returned yet today. Uh, if I'm at pro football focus, is that a, is that a loss? Is that a pass rush yeah. win loss? If I don't I mean, beat a guy, but I jump up and deflect it? To me, that's a pretty big play. I mean, Joe, that's that's not losing the rep. That's understanding the way football is played today. Right. Understanding how quarterbacks, how quickly quarterbacks are getting the ball out. And that's being smart and that's being aware. Um, you know, TJ Watt is aware of all that stuff. Every opponent, um, he watches so much film. I mean, he's just he's a studious in that regard and he knows tendencies for every team, um, every player on every team, lineman quarterback, running backs included. So, um, yeah, I mean, I know you didn't mean it that way, but when you say losing a rep, that's to me, that's winning a rep. If you get your arms up. No, that's exactly. Yeah. That's exactly how I meant it. I'm wondering if, if in their eyes, they're watching that rep and saying, uh, he lost that one. And then he just jumped up and deflected the pass. That's a lost pass rush. That's a pass rush loss. You know what I mean? That's well, just TJ actually intercepted a pass doing that once. I think it was against the Ravens. Yeah, and PFF probably gave him a pass rush win loss on that one. Loss yeah. on that play. You know, it's just yeah. the whole thing is ridiculous. Not advanced stats. I respect the fact that PFF tries to quantify what has previously nobody's even attempted. So quarterback pressures. That's a great one. Those are sometimes more influential than sacks quarterback hits, things like that. I'd love to know, and I was telling uh, Sean, don't call me Seth Myers. give me a stat on how often a guy is double or tip, triple teamed because that's what Micah Parsons said, why Garrett deserves this award, but I'd like to see that. I'd like to see that number. Don't tell me about pass rush win reps. Get the hell out of here with that. Anyway, right. Uh, how about Cam Hayward winning the Walter Payton man yeah. of the year? That was awesome. And- Anyone more deserving? I mean, I you know, Cam could have won that award the first time he was nominated. Um, I know I've written about Cam and what he does in the community a lot. I know others, um, you know, in this town have done that as well. So I think it was a long time coming. And, um, you know, we all know Cam probably has a year, um, you know, maybe two left. Um, so I, I think it was, very, it, it was justice that he was recognized last night. Um, his mom does a lot for this community. Um, his grandmother, the whole family has, has been here for such a long time um, that, uh, yeah, I, I think it was great that uh, at age 35 that uh, he finally um, he finally got it done. 
All right, Ray, very quickly here, your thoughts on the new uh, wide receiver coach, and I guess what is the other sort of job position titled here? Uh, quarter, is it quarterback's, quarterback's coach? coach? Yeah. So what? I thought so, Sully was coming back. Where does he fit in all this? Well, Sully, I think they're, they're still in talks. I, I think the Steelers want to retain Mike Sullivan, but it won't be for his previous role. And I, I think when you look at it, I think that makes sense when – when you want to get more out of Kenny Pickett, I think maybe you say let's let's just give him a different voice. Let's see if something else, um, you know, registers with Kenny, and maybe maybe you get a little bit more out of him. So maybe Tom Arth can can get through to Kenny, and maybe that would be a good um, a good marriage there. But you know, Mike Sullivan is well respected in the NFL, and certainly within within that building. So I, I think they would like to find a role for him, um, you know, if they can. And you know, the receivers coach seems like a good hire. Um, he's been in the NFL for a while. Um, to me, that's the wild card of, of this whole scenario. Can a receivers coach, whoever it is, come in and get more out of George Pickens? Um, can you make those guys better team players? I, I don't know that that, that could happen. I, I think every NFL team struggles with that, but I, I think it was clear after two years with Frisman Jackson that uh, that wasn't happening. So I think, obviously, they had to move on here and hopefully – um, you know, Zach does a better job in that regard. All right, Ray, to free association, if you would. Are you ready? I am ready. I'm getting the feeling that Mason Rudolph's not coming back here, that the Steelers don't want him badly enough. You? Uh, I think it's trending in that direction, yes. Who's going to be their other quarterback? I wouldn't mind seeing Ryan Tannehill. Oh, my God. Explain that one, because I would very much I mind seeing him. Well, I, I just think even though he's older, he knows Arthur Smith's offense. He's coming here as a backup, not as a starter. Um, uh, and I, I just think he could be a mentor to Kenny, and he can impart how Arthur Smith wants to do things. And I, I think that's important when you're making a transition to a new OC and a new playbook. You bullish on Russell Wilson, yes or no? No. Are you bullish on a big play for Kirk Cousins, yes or no? No, too expensive. Are you bullish on a trade for Justin Fields? Uh, no, I, I just don't think it makes sense. We had some pass rushers and a wide receiver get into the Hall of Fame. Does that create a little room for James Harrison and or Heinz Ward? And which one makes it, if either? Well, I mean, Heinz only has a couple of cracks left. So I, I hope it's Heinz, but there's such a logjam at receiver. So if I had to pick between those two, I would pick Harrison. Thank you, Ray. All right, Joe. Have a good weekend. I'll talk to you. Take care, man. That is Ray Fittipaldo. Read his stuff at postgazette.com. Fan Twitter brought to you by South Hills Kia, Peters Township. Visit him at southhillskia.net. Text line brought to you by Edgar Snyder and Associates, personal injury law firm, where they always say there's never a fee unless we get money for you. And it's 1129. Time to stop blindly paying those increasing insurance uh, auto and home insurance premiums. Contact the Buell Insurance Agency in Gibsonia. See what they can do for you. And I think we're going to hear a very familiar voice here, Seth, aren't we? And coming up, Gary Myers. He's written a number of books on the NFL. He's a voter for some of these awards, Hall of Fame, I believe. Let's ask him some questions about this whole process. That's next. Yes, Joe, I want to talk about Mr. Rooter Plumbing. I'm running out of time to do that, but my enthusiasm for Mr. Rooter Plumber has not dimmed. It is Pittsburgh's best plumbing company. 
I've known Bob Bill for a long time, and I've watched him build a plumbing company empire. Going on 21 years in this market, uh, which is an amazing run in any market doing anything. And the reason Mr. Reuter Plumbing has lasted so long is because it's great at what it does. Write the number down so you have it. I don't care if you have a broken water heater, maybe a backed-up sewer. You call 412-Reuter2, 412-Reuter2. The website's really good, too. Check it out, MrRuterPittsburgh.com. As I said, uh, going on 21 years in this market, 50-plus trucks out on the road every day. I see them coming into work, going home from work. I'm sure I'll see one this afternoon. I can't recommend them enough. The number one more time, 412-Reuter2. If I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times. Pittsburgh's number one full-service plumbing company, Mr. Reuter Plumbing. In one of Ron's final acts of kindness toward the show, he secured my next guest here, and that is noted NFL author, columnist, Hall of Fame voter, Gary Myers, he is on the Sullivan Super Service fan hotline. Pittsburgh's trusted plumbing and HVAC provider for over 50 years. Gary, I apologize for the delay. Things have been a little crazy here this week. Uh, Ron, when he left when he left this studio yesterday at 2 p.m., and I'm not kidding here, people were lined up and down the hallway, salespeople, his bosses, other radio hosts, and they clapped for him. Like it was oh. Richard Gere and Julia Roberts at the end of an officer and a gentleman. The whole place <laughs> clapped Ron out the door, and there wasn't a dry eye in the house. Well, he deserves it. I mean, Cookie's the best. I, I've known him back since the early 80s when he was covering the Pittsburgh Maulers, and their quarterback was Glenn Carano. I was working in <laughs> Dallas, and Carano had been the third string quarterback with the Cowboys, so I went to Melbourne, Florida for. Pittsburgh Moore's train camp, do a story on Carano, and that's when I met Ron, and, and we've been friends ever since. Um, what a tremendous career. <clears throat> I, I know that uh, you, you'd lined up a bunch of Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh sports luminaries to wish him well, and uh, that's just great. I mean, he deserves it. I, I imagine you're pretty lonely right now, but you get to talk more, so exactly. it's a Yes, I guess there is a little <laughs> bit of a trade-off, but, but – I will tell you that all of those people, everybody from Joe Namath to Ben Roethlisberger to Jerome Bettis to Terry Francona to John Calipari, couldn't say yes fast enough when they were told by myself or others who lined them up as guests uh, that what the occasion was. They couldn't say yes fast enough. Joe, you know, when I, when I talked to Ron the other day, and I hope he's listening, um, he he was telling me about, you know, Bettis was coming on. I said, Bettis is great. He was always really good to me. And so Ron started recounting the story he did when he spent the week with Bettis at that Super Bowl in Detroit. Yes. And I, I remember I was getting daily updates from Cookie about, you know, you can't believe what Bettis did. You know, he let me do this and he let me do that. And this is going to be an unbelievable story. And all these years later, when I was talking to him the other day, he goes, that might have been the favorite story I've ever done. I had incredible access, and I, I said, you did a million great stories. You know, he he was just, he was a true multimedia star. He, he was a great writer, great columnist, and and hearing you guys over the years, the times I've been on, um, he was tremendous on the radio. And uh, I know the Pittsburgh fans 
are going to miss him because he was an honest, objective voice, and that's all you can ask for. Very well said. Let's talk about some current topics, Gary. Let's talk first about yeah. your book. Ron and I both uh, peppered you with questions about the book that you wrote called Once a Giant, and they're a fascinating franchise from the period of time you wrote about back in the Bill Parcells, Lawrence Taylor, Phil Simms era. Um, let's talk about Lawrence Taylor. How did you chronicle him in the book, and what sort of springs to mind when that magical name I think most people probably regard him as the greatest defensive player ever. Oh, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, it's him or you know Reggie White, and I, I guess Nick Lawrence was just a little bit better uh, on a different level because the way he played the game, I really think you hear so much about, oh, a guy changed the game, and, you know, how did he change the game, you know? But Lawrence really changed the game because he was 6'3", 245, and – and can run down running backs and, and wide receivers uh, and, and definitely quarterbacks. I mean, he was just amazing. And he was what is now called, you know, uh, the pass rush specialist and, you know, rush defensive end, although he played outside in the 3-4 defense. Um, he really was the start of a new generation of, um, of defensive players. But, you know, I think it would be interesting to hear your perspective on this, Joe. You know, what the perception of Lawrence is now. Do people remember him for what an incredible player he was? Or do they say, well, he was an incredible player, but what a, what a screw-up off the field with the cocaine and, and, and getting suspended. And even after his career was over, he didn't get himself straightened out with drugs for about another six or seven years and and then still had other problems after that with with alcohol and with women. But um, when I met with him in April of 22, it was the healthiest and happiest he'd seemed to me since he retired after the 93 season. Um, and, I, you know, I was talking to him about, hey, Lawrence, as great as you were, um, I think there was another level there. If you lived your life like, like Phil Sims, you know, had a wife and a young family and went home after work. And he didn't disagree with that, but he said he had no regrets. Hmm. How can people get the book, Gary? Yeah, it's it's available on Amazon or you know Barnes and Noble, any place you get your books. And Joe, if I can just mention, and I think this is really important. Yeah. Um, th this really addresses a crucial topic of life after football, and I know there's been so many Steelers from that generation and earlier. You know, have had a lot of problems, Mike Webster, et cetera. Um, and although the book is about the 86 Giants, it really could be about any team f from that generation. Because the problems that the Giant players are having are not necessarily, they're not unique. You know, the challenges of life after football, both financially and mental health issues and physically, all players around the league from that generation are suffering from that. So even if you're not a Giant fan or even if you're not a football fan, there's so many human interest stories in here. And it's filled with heartbreaking stories and a lot of heartwarming stories as well. So um, it's easy for me to say, but I highly recommend it. <laughs> I read the piece or the part of it about Mark Bavaro, too, who incidentally, where did I see that? Peter King had his 40-year, you know, all-pro team, all-time yeah. team from the, from the time that Peter started covering the game in the early 80s. He has Mark Bavaro as his starting tight end. I believe on that team, 
I put Mark Bavar. I made a team last year of all non-Hall of Famers, at least at that time. Um, some guys have since gotten in. He was a great player. Belichick said he he handled Reggie White as good as any tackle in the league. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the reason Mark's not in the Hall of Fame is because his career wasn't long enough. Um, it, it, let's just say this. He, he played at an all-pro level whenever he was healthy. It was just the latter portion of his career, he had severe knee problems. Mm. And so he had like four or five really great seasons. And then after that, you know, it, it just wasn't the same. He went from the Giants to the Browns to the Eagles, kind of bounced around a little bit. and was never really the same player, but he was just so incredibly tough. And, and the chapter that I wrote about him has a lot of really funny stuff. Just real quickly, he repeats training camp, night off, he goes out and gets drunk, comes back the next day for practice, is feeling queasy, and he's walking off the practice field, and he has to walk par- by Parcells, who's asking what's going on with him. And before Mark can say anything, he threw up all of Parcells' shoes. Which is <laughs> never good with the boss. impression as a rookie. But the heartbreaking stuff is he really, really suffered about eight months with long-term COVID to the point that he had suicidal thoughts. And the chapter on Bavaro, it's going to make you laugh, but, and I know this is kind of trite to say it, it'll make you laugh, but there's parts of it that's really going to make you cry. Mm. What, what the poor guy was going through with paranoia and depression and dizziness and all these things, because they feel that COVID attacked his brain being that it was susceptible and vulnerable because of all the concussions that he suffered during his career. So rather than COVID going after his lungs or another part of his body, they think it went after his brain and it, it just really messed him up for a long period of time. He's not a hundred percent recovered, but he, he's doing much, much better. And, uh, you know, I'm happy about that because he's a great guy. Author, columnist, hall of fame voter, Gary Myers on the Sullivan Super Service Fan Hotline. The 50-minute mark on the fan brought to you by South Hills Chrysler Jeep Dodge Route 19 in Peters Township, celebrating 50 years in the South Hills. All right, Gary, people here today, very displeased that Miles Garrett won Defensive Player of the Year. I was looking over the list of voters for the AP Awards, and I see your name on there, and I'm curious who you voted for uh, for Defensive Player of the Year. All right. I promise you, because I'm really an honest person, and I'm not just saying this because I'm talking to a Pittsburgh audience, but I promise you I voted for T.J. Watt. And, and that's, that's the God's honest truth. I, I thought he deserved it. Um, I think he's the best defensive player in the league. So I voted for him. Um, we know how important he is to the Steelers. And uh, he just had another great season. I know he got banged up at the end of the year. But, um, I, I mean, this, this is a guy that brings it on every play, and, and I voted for him. And boy, the, uh, the Cleveland Browns won an awful lot of awards for a team that got blown out in a wild-card playoff game, huh? I mean, That's what we were just talking about. I love Jim Schwartz as much as the next guy, but they were last in red zone defense and they were not even in the top 10 in scoring defense, and they basically started giving up 20, 30 points the second half of the season. 
Yeah. And then yeah, you have I, Joe Flacco with the comeback player, and I love Joe Flacco too, but the other guy passed away on the field and was revived right. and came back and played, DeMar Hamlin. Yeah, yeah. Now, he didn't play a lot, but just the fact that he, if he played one play this past season, he got my vote. Me too. And and I think that Joe Flacco even said at one point that he didn't deserve the award. He's only only played five games. And I think I, I saw the breakdown of the voting, Joe. I think that Hamlin got more first-place votes, but Joe got more total points on that. As far as Jim Schwartz, I mean, I think it was relatively clear that maybe the, the two guys that deserved it the most – were uh, Mike McDonald in, in, in Baltimore and, and Ben Johnson in Detroit. Yes. I, I'm not, I'm not sh- you know, it, it's not like I looked at the Browns' defense and what, you know, I, I know they went through five quarterbacks, and, and so the defense had to play well. But I, I never looked at the Browns as, wow, they, they got a real shutdown defense. Um, so I don't know what all the love for the Browns was. Now, I did vote for Stefanski. Making the playoffs with five different quarterbacks, I think it was pretty unique. Uh, you know, D'Amico Ryans certainly deserved a lot of consideration. But we, my fellow voters voted for the Browns as if they were the number one seed with a 14-3 and three record. Uh, I, I didn't see it that way. Man, me neither. And getting back to TJ, the part that really jumped out to me above anything else was how eight voters didn't have him in the top three. That stunned me. Well, how about the Lamar getting 49 out of 50, and the guy who didn't vote for him voted for Josh Allen? Who, I didn't see me, that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I saw the breakdown. Somebody on, on Twitter um, had the breakdown of all the award voting. And I mean, if you're not going to vote for Lamar, then maybe you vote for McCaffrey or. You know, the early three quarters of the season through, um, uh, Brock Purdy looked like he was making a run at that award, or Tyreek Hill, but then he missed a couple of games. Um, I, I thought it was clear that it was Lamar, and he should have won it unanimously like he did a few years ago. Um, but to me, I mean, it's nice to win those awards, Joe, you know, but – What's Lamar done in the playoffs? And ultimately, I think that's how you judge coaches and quarterbacks. Maybe it's not fair, but Lamar played horribly uh, in their loss to Kansas City. And that's what I remember about Lamar, fair or not. That's what I remember about him for the 2023 season. Not that they were great during the regular season or they, they beat all the best teams. I think they beat 10 teams with winning records. But, you know, okay, fine. What, what happened in the playoffs? He lost a home game in the AFC Championship to a team that basically up until the week before in Buffalo had struggled all season. I mean, this was is not a typical Chiefs team. And to lose to them at home, you know, that to me taints the entire Ravens season. A couple more minutes with Gary Myers. I'm here. really ingratiating myself to the Steelers fans, right? <laughs> I'll say, well, well, we haven't gotten to the Hall of Fame yet. Everything may end for you there. Um, okay. Back to the voters first with, with the AP awards. Yeah. I had never seen the list of voters. I think I assumed it was more writers or maybe people who were more removed from the game as players. I was surprised, for example, to see Tom Brady and Brewski. Brady just finished playing five minutes ago. 
Uh, I won't say I'm concerned about biases from recently retired players. Well, maybe mm-hmm. I will. Maybe I do say that and think that. Um, it, it was just a surprise to me the composition here that goes into all the vote. Who, who's voting? How about you? Are you are you satisfied that you have the right representation there among voters? Joe, I'll, I'll tell you the truth. I I saw the list and I didn't go through it name by name. So you just told me about Brady and Bruschi. I was not aware of that. Now, I don't really have a problem with Bruschi because, you know, he, he's, he's in, into, you know, he, he does ESPN and he, he's kind of a media member now, although I never really consider former players media members. Um, but at least, he, you know, he's, he's into it every week and talking about it on TV. Yeah. Uh, maybe a year from now, Brady should have been on that list of voters, but I'm not, I'm not sure why he would have gotten the vote. Um, Way back at the beginning of my career, I worked for the AP, and it's a, it's a great organization, but I would question that one. And, you know, just as I question on our Hall of Fame committee, we, we have 50 voters, and we have Tony Dungy and Bill Polian. Great guys. Tony Dungy like and who? Bill Polian. Uh-huh. Uh, terrific guys, and I, I probably get into trouble for saying this, but I don't care. Um, when we have their former players who are finalists, um, for the modern era, I'm not sure they should be allowed to vote. You know, we've had Dwight Freeney, Reggie Wayne, um, and Freeney got in this year. Reggie Wayne still hasn't. Um, last year, Rondé Barber, who I, I voted for, but Tony coached him. And, and Tony, you know, was a big proponent for Albert Lewis last year in his 20th and last year of eligibility because he coached him with the Chiefs. Are there I mean, not other there? coaches on there? I don't. I don't know what the composition is. Are there not no, other former coaches? Basic, yeah, it's basically no. It's it's James Lofton and Dan Fouts, and they were added about five years ago. Um, but at the time, you know, Dan was doing games every week, and James is still doing games. I mean, I had a problem with that also, because when their former teammates come up. I mean, are they totally objective? No, I mean, it's human nature. You're not going to be. Um, so, you know, it's hard enough when we're a Hall of Fame voter that I present all the Jets players. And, you know, uh, Ed Bouchette for many years did all the Steelers. Yeah. Um, so they put us in an uncomfortable position because we're advocating, advocating for guys that we covered. And we covered them objective, objectively, but now when we stand up in the meeting and I'm giving the credentials of Darrell Rivas or Kevin Mawai or Curtis Martin, you almost become their campaign manager. And that, that's not an easy thing, you know, especially for, for me who always just I write what I saw. You know, I, I didn't let any personal relationships get in the way of that. So, but still as you're preparing your presentation, you're talking to the player you're going to present, you know, you grow an affinity for them. It's it's impossible not to. So you can only imagine how it is for Dungy and Polian and Fouts and, and James Lofton who either played or coached or was a general manager for some of these candidates that are coming up. And again, I'm probably really digging a hole for myself here with the whole thing. No, I, I never really said this publicly. Yeah. But, um, I, I, there's something 
there's something that doesn't feel right to me about it. But and that's not questioning the, the character of Dungey or Polian because, I mean, if you had any dealings with them, they're, they're both terrific people. But how can Tony Dungey not vote for Reggie Wayne? And is it fair to say Tory Holt and Andre Johnson and Andre Johnson got in this year? Is it fair to them that Reggie Wayne's coach had a vote? I'm inclined to agree with you there, honestly. I I really am. I've talked to the Hall of Fame about it. And again, I've never said this publicly, but I've, I've talked to them behind the scenes about it. And I'm not questioning these guys' integrity. I'm just saying it's human nature. No, I hear you. And this was a question I was wondered with Ed, too, here is, what if you're asked to represent the case of a of a local player that you don't believe should be in the Hall of Fame? Are you then asked like a lawyer just to make the best case anyway? Mm. Joe, that, that's a, a fantastic question. And um, the only way I can really answer that is if you make it to the final 15, you, you probably eventually will get into the Hall of Fame. Most of the final 15 <clears> – <throat> get in, some take longer than others, and nobody makes the final 15 and you sit, look at them and say, boy, they had a lousy career and they don't deserve to be a finalist. Um, they might not. Three? Eight people lead, leave the guy. You're like, say, Jerry Rice and Joe Montana and Peyton Manning, you know, players like that. But usually if you get to the final 15, it's not hard to make a case for them. But if you feel strongly they're not Hall of Fame players, you can recruit, recuse yourself Mm. and have somebody else make the presentation because you don't want somebody getting up there and and just talking negatively about somebody. And when, when I make my presentations, I just try to recite their case without sounding like I'm, I'm campaigning because our obligation really is to make the other voters aware of what the guy's career accomplishments were and – and then, you know, the presentation's of five minutes, and then afterwards everybody else is allowed to speak up if they want. Um, there are 50 of us, and I'd say half never say a word in the meeting, which you sit through an eight-hour meeting and you don't speak up on any of the candidates. It's kind of amazing to me, and I'm probably going to get myself in trouble for saying that. <laughs> Keep going. I'm liking this. We've no, about a, I'm we've... going down the ship. I'm not going to do with you, you know? Um, we have about but, a minute uh, left here, Gary. Yeah, I, I just want to say overall, I do think it's a fair process because yeah. we do discuss the candidates at length, which is different how they do it in baseball. They just get a ballot and check off names. Oh, here's one then. You know what? We're going to keep going. Here's one that really, okay. really bothers me <laughs> okay. is, is I have always been under the impression in football, which differentiates this from baseball, is that it's only on-field accomplishments. And I've had people Mm -hmm. around here, media people, say when it comes to Antonio Brown, and I'm no fan of Antonio Brown's off-the-field behavior, believe me, Mm -hmm. they say, well, he quit, quote, on the field. That was an on-the-field action, to which I say, you know and I know that the spirit of what they mean there is your stats, Mm -hmm. your accomplishments during live action on the field, and Antonio Brown belongs in the Hall of Fame. That's how I feel. You? Well, well, let let me tell you this. Um, The case of Terrell Owens was fascinating, and it took him until the third year to get in. And I can tell you unequivocally, the reason he didn't get in the first two years is because the guy was a knucklehead and a locker room destroyer, and he's always ripping his quarterbacks. 
And, and the Hall of Fame, and, and this kind of surprised me, they were asked to differentiate between what Owens did on the field and what he did in the locker room, which is different than Lawrence Taylor off the field having a cocaine problem. And they said the locker room was an extension of the playing field, so we absolutely could consider how Owens conducted himself in the locker room. Mm. And that and that might have not come up the first year that they made that distinction. Who said that? Who second. said that? The people exactly the people running the Hall of Fame. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I can't tell you, you know, the person that said right, it, but right. it was it came up in our meeting, and it was during a meeting when we 2020 was the last one we were able to do in person, and then COVID, we've been doing it virtually. We were supposed to do it in Atlanta this year, but. Um, if you, the we it was the middle of January and the weather was just horrendous all around the country and they feared people having trouble getting into Atlanta, so we did it virtually again. But it probably was the year or the year before Owens got in and they said, you know, it's okay to consider some of the shenanigans that he pulled in the locker room, you know, ripping his teammates, which to me set a precedent that will probably be applied to Antonio Brown. It hasn't come up with anybody else. And the interesting thing is when Owens got in on his third try, Randy Randy Moss got in on his first go-around. And you can easily make a case that Randy Moss was as or nearly as destructive in the locker room as T.O. was, you know, both in Minnesota and when he was with the Raiders. And then he basically talked his way out of New England, which was a huge mistake on his part because Brady loved throwing to him. Um, so in, in my mind, the locker room counts now because they told us it does, but if the guy got arrested 25 times, but he's a hall of fame talent, we've been told not to consider that. That is really, I'll tell you, surprising to me. And I really, my belief is that that opens up just an unbelievable can of worms because how am I supposed to know what a guy was like in the locker room other than maybe what I read or what people say? And what about other guys who may have not had reputations for being bad in the locker room, but I get word that they were. It's just, to me, that defeats the whole purpose of stats and stats only. Well, I mean, the thing with T.O. was pretty public. Uh, how he, the Niners couldn't wait to get rid of him. The Eagles couldn't wait to get rid of him. The Cowboys couldn't wait to get rid of him a year after giving him a contract extension. Um, so it was pretty well known what he was all about. In the locker room, he, he criticized Jeff Garcia. He criticized Donald McNabb. He wore an all after Tony Romo, accused him of having, you know, the brotherhood uh, relationship with Jason Witten and only throwing him the ball. I mean, he was pretty destructive. And the Hall of Fame decided that counted because it, it translated to what happens on the field. So um, we had to take that into consideration. And that's why T.O. didn't show up in Canton. For his induction, he did it. Um, uh, one of the schools in Alabama, I think he went to. I can't remember off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. But he, he held his own induction ceremony um, at his alma mater, which was kind of bizarre. But um, <laughs> what can you say? Well, a quick hmm. yes or no for the, to the last question. Have you voted okay. for Heinz Ward? I have. But... I might be wrong about this. I don't think Hines has made it to the final 15. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have voted him 
to the 25 every year, and I voted him to the 15 every year. And again, I, I don't think he's made it to the 15 because I don't remember. That's when they make presentations. Right. But I'll tell you this. You put Heinz Ward with Andre Johnson, Tory Holt, and Reggie Wayne, and those three guys, you know, have been finalists, not Heinz, but the other three guys have been finalists every year for like the last three, four years. I would take Heinz Ward over any of those three guys. So would Peter King. He was just on with us. I have to run, Gary. I'm way over time here. That was fascinating, and I appreciate you taking the time. Well, Joe, if I can just end it with this, because now people in Pittsburgh really love me. Um, my book is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. I promise you, you don't have to be a Giants fan to want to read this, especially because the Steelers players have had so many post-football uh, post problems in their lives, you know, life after football problems, and um, – this is kind of a different generation than the 70s Steelers, who we know all about. Um, these 80, 86 Giants, a lot of them have really suffered, and I think people would – I can't say you enjoy reading about that, but I think it would be really enlightening to read it. And, Joe, I thank you for all the time, and, and this was a great conversation on my end also. I really appreciate it. That was – thank you. That was eye-opening and fun. Thank you very much, Gary, and good luck with the book. Take care. And now the cookie's not there. Just call me on your own, okay? I will. Well, definitely. Thank you. How about that? How about that? The ending, the, the whole conversation, but the end part, I mean, are people aware of this, that basically a version of the character clause has made its way into the Pro Football Hall of Fame? I didn't know that. Did you know that, Sean? Don't call me Seth Myers. No, but uh, Gary just told me that he'll let me know if they kick him off the Hall of Fame voting committee. <laughs> they might have... I mean, come on now. I could go and point to some other guys who weren't. Hmm, we're going to continue this conversation. I'm going to. He's going to get kicked off the Hall of Fame committee. Then the the Joe Show isn't even the last one day here. If I keep going over time like this, fan weather brought to you by Sun Chevrolet. Check out special financing for qualified buyers on new Silverado 1500 trucks. Really warm. Some sun today, high of 62. I'm going to rant about the Hall of Fame and Heinz Ward and this newly found character clause coming up next. You can join me, 412-928-9370. Is this going to keep Antonio Brown out of the Hall of Fame? And in the meantime, J.P. Roofing. Eh, he's in the Roofing Hall of Fame and the Siding Hall of Fame, two different Hall of Fames, I might add. And uh, he's asked me to be his presenter. I'm going to read a speech for J.P. at the Siding Hall of Fame. I don't know when or where the ceremony is, but it's going to be... A hell of a day. I know that. And here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to start off with this man and his mustache. Back in the year of 1983 or thereabouts, forged out on their own and built a business called J.P. Roofing and Siding. They had the guts to do it themselves. No bosses for these guys. They were their own bosses. And look at them now. 42 years later, nationally recognized, platinum preferred company, J.P. Roofing and Siding. They went to work on the savvy old newshounds house back in eh, circa 2017. They fixed the roof, the flashing, whatever that is, and the siding so that it didn't rain in his house anymore, and he never worried about it again. Let's bring up Joe and his mustache. Come on up here. Come up on stage and get take a bow, I would say. $500 off right now. Any roofing or siding installation at J.P. Roofing and Siding, give them a call. 412-829-7711. That's 829-7711.
I'm still reeling from that Gary Myers interview. Sean, don't call me Seth Myers. I think he might be reeling from it for a little while, too. But, yeah, it was really, <laughs> he, really insightful. He revealed first that he doesn't think it's right that Bill Polian, Tony Dungy, uh, you know, Colts guys would be Hall. Was it Hall of Fame voters? I think so, yes. Because how are you not going to be? And he didn't question their character, but just putting them in position where you're voting on former players. That's what he meant, right? Yeah, and I think he brought up uh, Reggie Wayne, for instance, and how that might affect the candidacy of other receivers. If they're almost guaranteed to give their votes to Reggie Wayne, how does it affect some of the other guys like Andre Johnson, for instance, that he named, or Heinz Ward? Yeah, and we both questioned the idea of Tom Brady. I had no idea. That actually stunned me when I saw the list of voters for these AP awards last night, that Brady would be on there. He just he just got out of the league. And that's I, because he was supposed to be a, a TV analyst this season? Is that what we're to understand? Even though he, he's well, not going to do that until next year. I don't know. I think they just year. want re- former players represented on there. I, I don't know what to do. What, why, I don't know why he's on there. I just don't particularly like him and Brewski both being on there. And there's no – I didn't see any Pittsburgh representation on the whole list which is odd to me. Let me look at the list again because it's right here in front of me for these major awards. I also don't think, by the way, TJ was a no-show at the awards ceremony, correct? I'm not uh, sure I believe. That I saw him tweeting immediately afterwards, so I'm Yeah, I'm guessing. not sure that that was the greatest look for him. I'll be honest about that. Uh, not to go to the ceremony because I guess he felt like he wouldn't win the award. I feel like other people, if they had done that, would be absolutely shredded for it. And I feel like that's, I just don't think it's a great look, really, for him. I feel like Micah Parsons could have won that award. I just don't think Miles Garrett should have won it. I really don't. Now, we've already been over that a million times. Let's get back to Gary Myers. Do you have the clip from when we talked, Sean, about uh, Antonio Brown and his possible candidacy? Yeah, let's uh, hold on. Kind of, kind of winging this, but we, I think no, no, we I'll, got it. Yeah, I'll set it up here. The breaking news here, by the way, is that I was never aware, and I read uh, my job is to be aware of what's happening in the world of sports. That's you know, you have one job type of thing. Keep track of what's happening in sports. I am not aware that that basically the rough equivalent of a character clause has entered into Hall of Fame voting in the Pro Football Hall of Fame and that the directive came from the Hall of Fame itself. Had you were you aware of that? No, I was not. I, 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 I don't I'm, think it's real. To be honest, I mean, there's people who probably look into this extensively, but I, I don't think at this point that's really public knowledge to, to be completely forthcoming I think it was kind of something that maybe he kind of revealed the uh, behind the curtains a little bit I'm stunned because I brought up and we were talking Hall of Fame candidacies and I brought up Antonio Brown and I think he's going to be kept out of the Hall of Fame because of off the field crap Um, and I include by the way let's say this non-playing crap like quitting in the middle of a game you know and walk into the locker room I was always under the impression when the Pro Football Hall of Fame and its voters consider on-field performance only, to me that always meant very obviously 
your performance between the whistles, and that's it. And once we tread into any other kind of ca- uh, category, any other kind of behavior, then we're, we're really putting a morals clause in there, a character clause, like the Baseball Hall of Fame. We're considering things that shouldn't be considered. As I mentioned to Gary, I'm no fan of, of Antonio Brown's off-the-field behavior. I don't think anybody would be. But this guy is a, he should be a surefire Hall of Fame player. He might be a top five receiver I've ever seen in my life. And if you want to talk about longevity, that went out the window at the Hall of Fame a long time ago. Terrell Davis is in. Tony Baselli's in. Patrick Willis just got in. If you're truly great, even for a short period of time, and he was, and it wasn't that short of a period of time, then you should be in the Hall, and he should be. I was never aware that they that the Hall of Fame itself actually told voters, hey, you can consider this now, and by this I mean what Gary Myers just revealed. We were talking about Antonio Brown, and then the topic of T.O. came up, and he had to wait a while to get in. Play oh, it, That Chuck. the spirit of what they mean there is your stats, mm-hmm. your accomplishments during live right. action on the field, and Antonio Brown belongs in the Hall of Fame. That's how I feel. You? Well, well let me tell you this. Um, the case of Terrell Owens was fascinating. And it took him until the third year to get in. And I can tell you unequivocally, the reason he didn't get in the first two years is because there was a guy who's a knucklehead and a locker room destroyer, and he's always ripping his quarterbacks. And, and the Hall of Fame, and, and this kind of surprised me, they were asked to differentiate between what Owens did on the field and what he did in the locker room, which is different than Lawrence Taylor off the field having a cocaine problem. And they said the locker room was an extension of the playing field, so we absolutely could consider how Owens conducted himself in the locker room. Mm. And that and that might have not come up the first year that they made that distinction. Who said that? Who second. said that? The people exactly the people running the Hall of Fame. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I can't tell you, you know, the person that said right, it, but right. it was it came up in our meeting, and it was during a meeting when we. 2020 was the last one we were able to do in person. And then COVID, we've been doing it virtually. We were supposed to do it in Atlanta this year, but um, if you, the, it was the middle of January and the weather was just horrendous all around the country. And they feared people having trouble getting into Atlanta. So we did it virtually again. But it probably was the year or the year before Owens got in and they said, you know, it's okay to consider some of the shenanigans that he pulled in the locker room, you know, ripping his teammates, which to me set a precedent that will probably be applied to Antonio Brown. It hasn't come up with anybody else. And the interesting thing is when Owens got in on his third try, Randy Randy Moss got in on his first go around. And you can easily make a case that Randy Moss was as or nearly as destructive in the locker room as T.O. was, you know, both in Minnesota and when he was with the Raiders. And then he basically talked his way out of New England, which was a huge mistake on his part because Brady loved throwing to him. Um, so in, in my mind, the locker room counts now because they told us it does. But if the guy got arrested 25 times, but he's a Hall of Fame talent, we've been told not to consider that. That is really, I'll tell you, surprising to me. And I really, my belief is that that opens up 
just an unbelievable can of worms because how am I supposed to know what a guy was like in the locker room other than maybe what I read or what people say? And what about other guys who may have not had reputations for being bad in the locker room, but I get word that they were. It's just, to me, that defeats the whole purpose of stats and stats only. Well, I mean, the thing with T.O. was pretty public. Uh, How he, the Niners couldn't wait to get rid of him. The Eagles couldn't wait to get rid of him. The Cowboys couldn't wait to get rid of him a year after giving him a contract extension. Um, So it was pretty well known what he was all about in the locker room. He he criticized Jeff Garcia. He criticized Donovan McNabb. He wore an all after Tony Romo, accused him of having, you know, the brotherhood uh, relationship with Jason Witten and only throwing him the ball. I mean, he was pretty destructive. And the Hall of Fame decided that counted because it, it translated to what happens on the field. So um, we had to take that into consideration. And that's why T.O. didn't show up in Canton for his induction. He did it. Um, uh, well, one of the schools in Alabama, I think he went to, I can't remember off the top of my head, mm-hmm. but he, he held his own induction ceremony uh, at his alma mater, which was kind of bizarre. But... Um, <laughs> Well, a quick yes or no for the, to the last question. That's all right with the last one. Um, wow is what I say to that. 412-928-9370. That essentially means there is a character clause in, the, in, in voting for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Voters were told, according to Gary Myers, to, um, that the locker room is an extension of the playing field and that we absolutely could consider how somebody like T.O. conducted himself in the locker room. As I mentioned to Gary, this defeats the whole purpose of stats and stats only, which is the way it should be for the Hall of Fame. So I read that as, were you less than the ideal teammate? And you're telling me that doesn't open up a gigantic can of worms and, and makes things very vague? And How are you supposed to know? I, I mean... Doesn't getting suspended make you less than the ideal teammate? Wouldn't having a drug or alcohol problem that affects your practice habits, coming in hungover, things like that, even if you're a great guy that everybody loves, wouldn't that make you less than the ideal teammate? I thought the same thing. Was somebody like Michael Irvin always the ideal teammate in that respect? How about John Riggins did some crazy things? We're talking, Sean, about the, the candidacy of James Harrison. Would it be taken now? May I take it into consideration if I'm a voter that he fell asleep in the middle of team meetings his last year in Pittsburgh, took off during games if he wasn't playing, things like that? And we're now to consider all of this, all of this, that the beauty of it was we just throw that crap away and consider what he did between the whistles. So now all of this is on the table? I guess you have to almost selectively say, what counts as a distraction because to me if a player gets arrested or something like that that is a distraction for the whole team so why are you discounting that while saying if it happens in the locker room then it's a big deal asking for a trade ripping a teammate ben shredded antonio brown when he was here on live radio with us and a lot of people agreed with what he was saying do we take that into consideration heinz ward Ripped Ben for not playing with a concussion against the Red. Like, what am I supposed to now put in there and leave out? I'll tell you what, though. This is a hell of a story. 
that that the Hall of Fame told voters, according to Gary Myers, that the locker room is an extension of the playing field. So we can absolutely consider how, in this case, T.O. back then, or whoever, conducted himself in the locker room. How the hell am I supposed to know how he conducted himself? Now, some of this stuff, like Gary said, yeah, it becomes front-page news when a guy rips his own quarterback. I don't think T.O. was the first to do that. Or when somebody asks out of a given situation, a lot of guys have done that. What no about, receiver's going to get wait, in wait, going wait. forward. <laughs> well, hold on a second here. What about Tom Brady peddling himself to the likes of the Miami Dolphins against NFL rules, maybe? What about that? It, it kind of gives a, an opening for voters to be selective of when they want to apply it because, to your point, I don't think they're going to apply everything that every player that's in consideration has ever done as a detriment. They're going to probably look at maybe a guy like T.O. who isn't this sort of almost what baseball is, where if the writers like how they were treated or whatnot, you can sort of apply that now with this NFL standard of voting. That's exactly what I'm saying, man. This just opens up all kinds of things. And it should really be potentially something that factors in with Big Ben's candidacy. And then what about coaches who involve themselves in that kind of thing, whatever that kind of thing might be away from the field, right? I mean, the beauty of it was it was very simple. What, do you, what did you do on the field? Very simple. That's it. Not in the locker room. I'm sure there's a lot of absolute jerks in the Hall of Fame, by the way, who are probably not that helpful in a locker room setting to their teammates, maybe even harmful, maybe even just jackasses, you know? That's big stuff. All right, what are we doing now? I've lost track, Sean. Please tell me. Well, uh, We have Willie Parker possibly at the top of the hour. How about them apples, huh? Fingers crossed. That would be great fingers to talk to him. Fingers crossed on him. Um, you know what? I have, a, I have another rant here on, not really a rant, but a lot of thoughts on Marc-Andre Fleury and his departure from Pittsburgh and what Sully said about that. Can we do that next? We sure can. Let's do that. Fan Twitter brought to you by South Hills Kia, Peters Township. Visit them at southhillskia.net. Fan text line brought to you by Edgar Snyder and Associates Personal Injury Law Firm, where they always say there's never a fee unless we get money for you. The time right now, 1235. Time to call Shenderovich and Shenderovich and Fishman. Why pay 40% when you can pay 25%? Call 888-98-TWINS. And here's a voice from a long time ago, back when it was Cook and Joe. Yes, Joe, I want to talk about Mr. Rooter Plumbing. I'm running out of time to do that, but my enthusiasm for Mr. Rooter Plumber has not dimmed. It is Pittsburgh's best plumbing company. I've known Bob Beal for a long time, and I've watched him build a plumbing company empire. Going on 21 years in this market, uh, which is an amazing run in any market doing anything. And the reason Mr. Rooter Plumbing has lasted so long is because it's great at what it does. Write the number down so you have it. I don't care if you have a broken water heater, maybe a backed-up sewer. You call 412-ROOTER2, 412-ROOTER2. The website's really good, too. Check it out, MrRooterPittsburgh.com. As I said, uh, going on 21 years in this market, 50-plus trucks out on the road every day. I see them coming into work, going home from work. I'm sure I'll see one this afternoon. 
I can't recommend them enough. The number one more time, 412 Router 2. If I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times. Pittsburgh's number one full service plumbing company, Mr. Router Plumbing. Let's take a quick time out here, Sean. Don't call me Seth Myers. And a little check in on how we are today. This has been a very emotional week. It, truly, it has. I was with Ron last night at his uh, hangout spot, Domenico's. Wonderful people there. Don, Philippe, or Felipe, or Filippo. I don't know what his name is, really. I know it begins with Philippe. Wonderful man. Um, toasts at the end of the night. Tears at the end of the night. It was unbelievable. And I mentioned it was like, it was like cheers. Ron had a whole little ecosystem, a, a society of people that he hung out with. It was like it was like cheers. All these characters coming from out of the woodwork introducing themselves. It was his group of people. And at the end of the night, he went around with a little basket and passed out tiny little bottles of whiskey and everybody did a shot. And then he and then and then he cried. And then one one guy read a poem, I think. Somebody else had a quilt that they're giving Ron. So when he snuggles up with a beer in Florida, he can put a quilt around the both of them. He's going to say he might get overheated in Florida. I might, yeah, depending on the air conditioning. Um, what was I saying? Just that it's, it's it, like I said at the beginning, it's like the day after a funeral. This was the death of a sports talk show. So it's the day after the funeral, the day after the wedding, when you've spent all this time trying to distract yourself and trying to prepare and trying to make sure everybody's taken care of, and then everybody leaves. And then it's just you. And that's when it really hits you. It's hitting me today. I didn't see Ron's head, his partially balding back of his head, when I walked up the stairs this morning. I didn't get the text from him this morning on show ideas. I didn't see him in here pacing around. I didn't see him say, Joseph, like my dad called me, Joseph, like that. All of that is hitting me today. I just wanted to acknowledge that in the middle of the show to keep it kind of real here. Okay? That is, uh, yeah, I, I second that. Um, so let's get to Sully. Let's get, there's so much to talk about. We haven't even talked about the Super Bowl. I feel like Gary Myers just just re- gave us national news that a- I the, think it might become that pretty soon. The equivalent of a character clause- entered Hall of Fame voting years ago in the form of the Hall telling voters what a guy does in the locker room is an extension of what he does on the field. And that's to be considered. But I a- didn't know that. But anything criminal or anything of that nature away from the locker room still doesn't count, which right. is a weird divide. Very weird. And again, it gets me to thinking about James Harrison. His teammates absolutely adored him. He wasn't a disruptive force in that way. But by the end, some of them were ticked off when he would do things like fall asleep in meetings and leave in the middle of games, right? So am I to consider that with James Harrison if I were a voter? I, I don't know. Am I to consider the guy who shows up, some, some talking like not him, somebody else, a different case, if a guy showed up hungover for practice or wasn't a good practice player? Does, did that affect the games? Because the argument seemed to be that if you're a divisive locker room force, it could affect you in games. And I think what the point you mentioned is that this is going to open a, a can of worms. And I think what you're going to see is 
just about every prominent receiver in the NFL now has had some sort of issues where they're calling out their quarterback or their offensive coordinator or demanding a trade. This is going to happen more and more if they continue to apply it to everyone, although it kind of seems like they're going to apply it to whoever they want, which is what baseball has been for, for decades now. Let's get to hockey, Sean. And apparently there's going to be some work happening in here. My friend Vic is now in the building. This is very exciting for everybody. He's going to do some repair work. Let's hope he has a drill and it gets real loud in here, Sean. Won't that be fun? Ron will really be regretting Ron leaving will be, a yeah, day He'll early. be very proud of this. Um, abruptly switching subjects, I should say. And by the way, we're coming up on the 50-minute mark on the fan. Brought to you by South Hills Chrysler Jeep Dodge Route 19 in Peters Township, celebrating 50 years in the South Hills. They're celebrating Marc-Andre Fleury's 1,000th game. This happened, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. His 1,000th career game, the majority of which were in Pittsburgh still. And the Penguins are in Minnesota. So it's going to be a very emotional evening. And... Mike Sullivan was asked about this yesterday, and I thought that this really sort of touched on the topic. And it can it can be equated to some of the things we may see with the Steelers and have seen with the Steelers. That when it's time for a franchise legend or just a popular player, somebody like, I don't know, a Cam Hayward in the next year or two. And by the way, congratulations to Cam in a big way again for winning Walter Payton Man of the Year. Just an incredible award for him. Really good endings are hard to find in sports. And Cam's not there yet, but who knows what happens with his contract, what he's asked to do this offseason, and the seasons beyond. You know, I think of Troy Polamalu. I think of Heinz Ward. I think of Flurry. <clears throat> it's just really hard sometimes to manage the business of sports with the emotions that surround good people who have been huge parts of your franchise, right? So I thought this was a great answer by Sully. I'm not sure exactly what the question was, but it seemed to be something along the lines of, you know, how was it managing the end of Flurry's Penguins career when he was supplanted by Matt Murray? Still won them a cup, by the way, by beating the Capitals. They wouldn't have won that series without Flurry, but then he was replaced again by Matt Murray, and then they had to make a choice, and the obvious choice, I don't care what anybody says now, the obvious choice was the guy, the younger, cheaper guy who had just won two Stanley Cups in a row. But for Sullivan, for people running franchises, these things are always very, very tricky. And here's how the coach answered that. Might be for the final time. We don't know what his status is beyond this season, but have you thought about that at all? And I'm wondering if you could go back to 2017 I know this wasn't your department. This was more with Mark Andre and Jim at the time. But how hard was it knowing in that last year that it was probably his last season and with the expansion draft? Was it kind of awkward for you? And, and how much did you have to talk with Mark Andre about it during that time? So um, obviously, Flower means so much to this organization in this city with his contribution to the Penguins and helping establish itself uh, with the excellence that they've carried on here at, uh, during his time. and. Uh, was one of the most popular teammates, uh, I think, that, uh, that certainly I've, I've been around. Uh, just just a, a high-quality person, a, a, a fierce competitor, and has an incredible uh, body of work in this league. Um, 
you know, back on when you the time frame that you're alluding to, there were some difficult decisions that um, that had to be made um, with respect to that position, and uh, you know, those those decisions were never easy. You know, even the decisions uh, leading up through the Stanley Cup runs when you know we were utilizing uh, both Matt Murray and Flower. Um, you know, at the time to to try to help us win uh, win the Stanley Cup, and and they both played such a key role in helping us do that. So uh, those decisions are never easy; they're always difficult. Um, Flower and I had a lot of conversations, as you can imagine, through those through that process. Um, you know, those some of those conversations were some of the hardest conversations that I've ever had with a player, uh, and those decisions might have been. Uh, some of the most difficult decisions that I've ever had as a coach, um, just because we think so highly of Flower, both as a player and also as a person. Uh, but as I said, I think you know Flower and I had a good relationship, and um, you know we were very uh, straightforward and transparent in, in how we were going about what we were doing. Um, you know, I think, as I said, uh, during that process, it, those were very, very difficult decisions at the time. I know they were difficult decisions for Jim, also. Um, so, but I, I do think that um, you know there was a lot of communication that went back and forth between Flower and and us. And uh, my hope is is that that Flower will certainly be respectful of that. Pretty heartfelt, I would say, from Mike Sullivan. Some of the most difficult conversations of my career, and you know, from youth leagues on up. A lot of times the balance for a coach is between playing time and, you know, sentiment, how you feel about somebody, you know? And those tough decisions have to be made, and a lot of times aren't made, I think. Whether we're talking about obvious situations like daddy ball or mommy ball in in youth sports, right? Where it's, it's a really strong, you know, emotional attachment to somebody where you're going to favor them over others who clearly deserve to play. And it extends all the way to college and then the pros where it's it's obviously not familial relationships. But an icon like a Marc-Andre Fleury, how do you sit down with him, you know, and handle it in such a way where you're saying, basically, you're being replaced. You've won cups here or a cup at that time, and you're an incredible teammate, an incredible player, but we're going in a different direction here. You know what I mean, Sean? It's, 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 I think it's a task that every single coach on earth at every level is going to have to face that, in, that, in that genre, that ballpark, you know? And the Penguins are so lucky that they've been able to keep the other three guys for their entire careers because that is such a rarity where you often see teams for salary cap reasons or chemistry or whatever, they have to let go of multiple legendary figures because it just doesn't work out. So the fact that they've kept Crosby, Latang, and Malkin, uh, I, I think we should appreciate that. But Flurry was the one who ultimately had to go into a lesser extent stall. And it's never easy because both those guys turned out to be really, really good for many years after they left Pittsburgh. But I think everyone, organization, fans, they all understand how important Flurry was both on and off the ice. Yeah, the fact of the matter is that there was no choice at the time. There was none. And the fact of the matter, too, 
is that if you could go back and do it again, you'd pick Flurry. <laughs> I mean, right? He yeah, went on. I, he I, went I on to be was... the better player, but you had a guy who had just won two Stanley Cups and who was much younger, much cheaper. There was no argument for Flurry. No, at and the I think time. even there just wasn't even further than that. I think they realized that Jari was going to be a, a good goalie as well. So they thought we have two young guys. If something were to happen with with Murray, so yeah, it was a, a clear decision. You were going to have to lose someone in that expansion draft, and it just made a lot of sense. But at the time, no doubt that was one hundred percent the right decision. And it's also true that in a lot of ways, Flurry won them that second cup under Sully. Ron tells the story of after Game 7, because Ron had written, they're, they're not going to win without Latang, not this series and not Game 7 when it got there to Washington, that the coaches after the game, after Game 7, were like, how the hell did we win that series? I'll tell you how you won Flurry. The Penguins got outplayed for the majority of that series, including the first two games in D.C., and he was unbelievable. I think it was the best playoff series of his career. He won them the cup in that series. But there was just no choice. You know, he went, he went to Murray after that, and in the end, they did what they had to do. And it turned out pretty well for Flurry in the end, right? Yeah, I mean, he was, he was great in Vegas. He's now a record-setting goalie who's still playing. So I think, truly, it's a situation where everyone can look back and understand the reasoning and respect the other side's perspective in it. Thank you, Sean. Top of the hour, let's hope, let's hope for Willie Parker. I think this is going to happen. If he doesn't pick up his phone on first try, we're in big trouble. I'll tell well, you Well, it worked right out now. yesterday when that happened with a couple of guys. It did. That's true. Fan weather brought to you by Sun Chevrolet. Check out special financing for qualified buyers on new Silverado 1500 trucks. Really warm with some sun today and a high of 62. Now we're going to get to that and then Super Bowl talk. I mean, I haven't even gotten to, to more Hall of Fame talk here on Heinz Ward compared to people like uh, like Andre Johnson and Torrey Holt. And how does Antonio Gates not make the Hall of Fame? Uh, are, are these people kidding me? More touchdowns than any tight end in history. That little sentence alone should be his ticket to the Hall of Fame. First ballot. More tight ends than anyone, more touchdowns than any tight end in history. And then there's the eye test. We all watched him play. He was unbelievable. He was great for a long time. I thought amongst modern tight ends, he was probably second best behind Tony Gonzalez. I just can't believe it. All right, Sean. Guy who led the NFL in sacks off of their, where am I here? What has happened? I'm reeling from the Ron stuff. Hey, we're going to hear Ron's voice right now. talk to you about Sun Chevrolet. February is the month for love. And if you would love a new truck, then Sun Chevy on Route 19 in McMurray is the only place to go. Well-qualified buyers can get a 2023 or 2024 Silverado 1500 for 2.9% APR for 72 months when you finance with GM Financial. That's definitely a deal you will love. Terms and conditions at sunchevy.com. Maybe you don't want a truck. Well, it's okay. You and your special someone can discover other new opportunities together in any new Chevrolet. Remember, Sun Chevy carries all major brands of tires, custom wheel packages, and a full line of GM accessories in their parts department. But you know what the biggest benefit of Sun Chevy is? All their people. 
Over 500 years of combined experience serving their customers. They'll keep your GM vehicle looking and running like new. Shop their online catalog at sunchevy.com. Visit SunChevy uh, on Route 19 in McMurray. It's just five miles south of South Hills Village. Go to sunchevy.com to find the trucker car you will love. Chevrolet, find new deals. Well, thank you, Ron. Sean Myers with your fan headlines. Penguins back in action tonight on the road against the Minnesota Wild and Marc-Andre Fleury. Puck drop scheduled for 8 p.m. Fleury to be honored for 1,000 games in his career, as well as surpassing Patrick Waugh in all-time career victories. Sunday, it's a big game. It's the Super Bowl. Super Bowl 58, Niners and Chiefs. It's a 6.30 kickoff, but our coverage starts at 2 o'clock via Westwood One. You can listen to that right here on 93.7 The Fan. You can also use the Odyssey app to tune in. Fan headlines are powered by Bowser and Genesis of Monroeville. Now open for more. You can check out 93.7thefan.com. And a message from Joe Starkey. Thank you, Ron. And thank you, Sean. Football fans, FanDuel in partnership with Valley Forge has the perfect way for everyone to get in on the Super Bowl 58 action with a no-sweat same-game parlay. I've been saying it all week. Maybe I'll be wrong on this one, but I don't think so. Over under 12 and a half rushing yards for Brock Purdy? Are you kidding me? Now, I realize it didn't happen all that often during the regular season, but it's different now. It happened both times in the playoffs. Quarterbacks simply run more, more desperation, more need. He's going to be under pressure. He's going to get over 12 and a half yards. America's number one sportsbook has all your favorite bets, like money line, spread, same game parlays. That's a great chance to start to build one there. As with Purdy, you'll get bonus bets back if your SGP doesn't win. So start building your own or just bet a popular SGP already made for you in America's number one sportsbook. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Starkey if you don't already have an account. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21-plus present in Pennsylvania. Minimum three-leg parlay required. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Max refund $5 unless otherwise specified. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Yeah, baby. We got Willie Parker. Fast Willie. And it's pretty close to the anniversary of that 75-yard run in the Super Bowl that Ken Wisenhunt, about a week after the Super Bowl, I did a piece where he sat down with me uh, in the film room over on the south side and broke down everybody's assignment on that play and said, basically, we blocked it perfectly, except you can't block every play perfectly because there's 11 defenders. And really, if you include the quarterback, only nine potential blockers, right? The guy with the ball ain't blocking, and neither was Ben, although he did once in a while. So that meant, you know, at best, you're going to have one free guy. And I think on that play, it may have been Cam Chancellor. And he said, we needed Willie to make one move and beat one guy. And that's exactly what he did on his legendary Super Bowl run. And he is on the Sullivan Super Service fan hotline. Sullivan Super Service providing 
trusted plumbing and HVAC service for over 50 years. Willie Parker, how you doing, man? I'm great. How about you, Stocky? We're doing great here. I'm doing great. Uh, we're reminiscing over some Super Bowls earlier in the, earlier in the show here today, and what you did is one of the great plays in Super Bowl history. It truly was a 75 yard touchdown run. And is that right that it was blocked well enough to where almost everybody was accounted for, but you still had to beat one guy? Is that the way you saw it? Yeah, that's the way I saw it. Um, I see it like that now, but at that particular moment, you know, you're in a zone, you're in a Super Bowl. You don't see it that way. You 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 looking at it as you got to make a play, like so that one or two people that or one or two safeties that was um back deep or the one that came down and it was actually Bowware, um that came in at okay um, yeah box, yeah man you gotta you gotta do what you gotta do. So you make one so, move, and then do you know I you're gone? It was, yes, it's a perfectly blocked play. What was the feeling like? Ah uh, man, it was um you know it was you know feeling of you know we we a step closer to where we about to um about to be at the end of this game, a step closer to victory, man. So it was a feeling. It was a amazing feeling, actually. And how often do people bring up that play to you, Willie? Where are you now, North Carolina? I'm in North Carolina, man. They bring that play. We talk about that Super Bowl run all the time, man. You know, we start talking about football, especially you go to sports bars and stuff. Everybody, you know, if they're in the sports, they they, <laughs> they relish off that play a lot. And they want me to take them through every moment, every second every minute of the play, man, you know, you know how I go. You were great. You know that? I think you're an underrated player in Steeler history. Uh, you were, you have, you have great words. <laughs> I'm serious, man. Your, your <laughs> first, your first full year, 1200 yards. You followed that up with 1,494. You follow that up with 1316 and then you got hurt and still put up 791. You had a huge uh, average per carry. You obviously broke a ton of long runs. The one year you had 13 touchdowns. How do you look back on your Steeler career? It was a great story, too. Uh, definitely a great story, but, um, you know, the still, my Steeler career, you got you to gotta do things, you know, not just on the field. You, you got to do, like, the same uh, – I guess you have the same energy off the field as well. And you got to be, you know, so much coming with, um, that comes with greatness. And when you, you know, you're young and you're not really like seeing the, the big picture, you know, you actually hindering yourself from being great, you know? Um, so I don't think, I don't think for one moment, um, that I'm overlooked. I don't think for one moment that people, you know, you know, put me um, under the radar. It just is what it is. You gotta, you gotta do certain things when you're a professional. You can't, you can't take that lightly. You have to be a professional in every particular category. And if you're not, you know, it is what it is. Then you know, it's really on to the next one. Did you feel in some ways that you didn't? Uh, take it seriously enough at times? Is that what you're trying to say? 
Um, you know, like me, I was um, always Willie Parker. So I always, at that particular time, I felt that, you know, being a professional, like with my nutrition, having the same professionalism, like, you know, watching film, the same professionalism when I left the building, you know, I, I, I probably didn't meet the standards that, you know, uh, NFL athletes supposedly, you know, have met at that particular time. But, you know, that's why you live and you learn. And, you know, it is what it is. Um, I love every single play that I played in the NFL. But I think um, if I could go back and turn the hands in time, I would have took it a little bit more seriously. Mm. Willie Parker on the Sullivan Super Service Fan Hotline. Well, I got a number for you here, Willie. You played in seven playoff games for the Steelers. You know what the team's record was in those seven games? What was it, 7-0? and Yes, it was. It was 7-0. and <laughs> You ran for almost 500 yards. You had some other really good playoff games, 93 yards on 10 carries. Well, that was the Seattle Super Bowl. San Diego on the road to the second Super Bowl, 27 carries for 146 yards and two touchdowns. That's a pretty good game. Which team you think was better? The 05 team or the 08 team? Um, I think um, we both had our, um, you know, different, uh, different, um, you know, individual, like, you know, accolades, or I guess we were different in certain ways, but at the same time, we won a championship. So I'm not going to go into, you know, which team were the best. But one thing I will say is, it was an amazing feeling winning that first Super Bowl. Then mm. turning around winning another one was another amazing feeling. But I think the first one, when you don't know what to expect, it's just a different type of energy rush. Um, just that kickoff, like watching Jeffrey kick the ball and just seeing all those cameras flashing. But um, I always and that that stat is amazing. That seven and those stat, yeah, it's amazing because <laughs> when they played, uh, when the Pittsburgh Steelers were playing against Green Bay in that Super Bowl, I think it was two thousand and eleven, two thousand, yeah, two thousand eleven. Yeah, um, I was at home and um, I was watching it, and I was saying in my head, <laughs> oh man, I was like, man, if I would have played the Super Bowl. We'll win this game. Uh, <laughs> well, maybe you wouldn't have you wouldn't have fumbled like. Uh, well, forget about that story, right? You had great playoff games, uh, a couple of them anyway, on the way to those Super Bowls. Yeah, hundred percent. Uh, let me ask you this: I was watching highlights of the Seattle Super Bowl. Obviously, uh, your play and then the Antoine Randall throw, which was a hell of a throw. But I noticed something that I never noticed before. This morning, you, on the trick play, Randall L. throws to Hines Ward for a touchdown. First, Ben Uh hands it to you. Then you hand it to Randall L., and then you kept running a pattern down the other side of the field, and nobody went with you. So I'm wondering, if Hines hadn't been open, was Randall L. coming back to you, and would you have scored? Yes, I'm I'm a decoy. I was a decoy on that play. So as you see, I got the ball, and I made sure – the handoff was correct. So I was looking back, looking back, and then I kind of, like, you know, leaked out. But I seen um, Hines, I was like, oh, that's a touchdown right there. You know, <laughs> so <laughs> so um, that would have been that would have been a, a tough score for Randall, uh, a tough tough throw for Randall Well, 
like throwing it um, you know, back to me, but he had he had the strong one. Could have did it. And um what I scored, I'm always gonna say, Yeah, I would have scored. <laughs> you gotta catch the ball first. Yeah. Right. Well, that whole playoffs, it, and I'm wondering about this too, because the story for you guys was we're a running team, right? In in '05, it used to be, mm-hmm. uh, you would do a lot of the work for a lot of the game, and then you guys would drop the hammer with Jerome late in the game and just run people over. And it seemed like going into Cincy and especially going into Indy with Peyton Manning, that Bill Cower and and Wisenhunt decided to redo that and say we're going to come out throwing with our second-year quarterback and then run the ball. Is is that mm-hmm. the way it went during the week that they, that they said, hey, man, we're going to come out and throw the ball early in games, and it seemed different? No, nah, we never, we never um, talked about that during the week because um, we did the same, you know, game plan. We run, 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 pass. They, they, they go over um, certain coverages with Ben. Like during uh, you know certain periods, but we um we we really stuck to what we knew. I'm pretty sure Ben, uh, you know, felt a little bit more confident. Probably told Wizard Hunt like you know, let's do this, let's do that. He he was getting a little bit more power at that particular moment and um, gaining a lot more trust with um, um the coaches. So I could see that happening. But um as a player, as a running back, I didn't see it any different. I just in that particular time it was I pulled that. And it was working. I, you know, so why not? Keep going. Tell me this. Keep dialing those plays up. <laughs> we'll take you back to Indy. The Jerome play on mm-hmm. the goal line. Where were you? Were you were you? I imagine you were on the sidelines at that point. And what was running through your mind when the ball pops out of Jerome's hands and Nick Harper picks um, it up? Man, I was picking my heart up off the um, the grass, <laughs> off the sideline. Man, everything dropped. My everything like just dropped. My jaw dropped. I had to pick that up. Man, you just don't understand. Um, but um, <laughs> man. Ooh, it was like a feeling like, ooh, we did it. I said, we did it. Like, once they made that tackle, it was, it was. I knew we had a shot. Our defense was unstoppable. Jerome, our defense stopped anybody. You know, you, you won't mess with our defense any type of way. No, the defense was unbelievable that day. Yeah, um, it was unbelievable. What did Jerome mean to you overall? It really seemed like he took you under his wing. We're talking to Willie Parker here. Yeah, man, he was um, he was a great guy. Like, you you know what, Jerome? He mean he mean to me just what he mean to that city, man. Like, he just you know phenomenal person, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, you know he he really that, that one two punch, it was it was strong, man. And then to have somebody, he was just a, a speed back and a more elusive back. He was just in a bigger. So he saw he saw everything that I saw, you know, but he, he wasn't, you know, small enough or fast enough to do it. So he it was easy for him to coach me up. Yeah. You know, and it was it was kind of, you know, surreal. Like I, I loved every moment, like just listening to him and, you know, saw how he um, saw the game. And then watching him, like when he was like, you know, a younger running back, like him making those moves, you know. 
yeah. everything that he told me, like he was doing it before, you know. So I thought that was um that was real. That was like beautiful, man. How's life been since the NFL, Willie? I know you've done some coaching. Uh, are you coaching these days? What are you up to? What's your life been like? Uh, man, I um I coach youth football. Um, I coach my son actually, and um I'm in the training. Like so, life's been great, man. Um, my body's um my body feeling good. So I'm super healthy. But um, far as life, man, it's been beautiful. That's been another thing. Like you know, another beautiful challenge. Just like football, like so, I learned a lot, a valuable lesson um, during my days, um, you know, in Pittsburgh, and you know, so, you know, once you learn, you know, you gotta go ahead and carry that with you and and apply it though to everything that you're doing next in life, man. So it's it's real, it's real amazing, you know, how life works, you know, and and now I'm just, you know starting little side hustles and and in the real estate game, renting homes out, man, and, you know, just trying to get in where I fit in, you know? Absolutely. Well, it was always a lot of fun to talk to you in the locker room, Willie, and like I said, you had a great career for the Steelers, and I appreciate you taking time today. Oh, man, thank you for um, hitting me up, and um, thanks for having me. Anytime. Thanks, Willie. That is the great Willie Parker, fast Willie Parker. He was a lot of fun in that locker room, man. He was lighthearted and funny. And when you really look at his career, um, he put up some pretty big numbers. Like a lot of guys in the NFL, you know, it's, it's not for long. That's what it stands for, right? But when you think... 1,200, almost 1,500, almost 1,800. How many running backs in a lot of franchises' histories have three straight years where their total yards is, what, close to 4,000 yards with 20 touchdowns and a bunch of long runs, 80, 76, 75 in the Super Bowl, and they average about four and a half yards a carry. That's a hell of a run. Did you hear, by the way, what Sean Alexander said? Oh, geez. We forgot to ask him about that. <laughs> I forgot to ask him that question. It's okay. By the way, he pulled a Namath. He did not answer when I called him, and then he called in on the regular fan number. He did? He did. <laughs> and I, I forgot I, to ask him the Sean Alexander question. I'm blaming Ron for that. Yeah, Does he still work Ron. on this show? Uh, there was someone on his side of the booth earlier, so all the same. Sean Alexander saying earlier this week the Seahawks win that Super Bowl 99 out of 100 times. Shame on me for forgetting about that. I had it written down. I don't think anyone outside of someone who played for the Seahawks believes that. No, you can't believe. That's ridiculous. Damn it. Now that's all I'm going to think about the rest of it. Is, it was really Ron's fault. And I'll tell you why it was Ron's fault. Because he distracted me this week with his retirement and everything else. And then things got emotional last night at the party at Domenico's, so I'm not thinking clearly today. Ron's fault I didn't ask that question. His legacy lives on. You want to call him back real quick? Would that be ridiculous on a sports radio show? I can try. Now, is that weird? I don't know. Yes, call him back. All I right, want to ask him that question. I'll give him, a, I'll give him a ring. Just see if he answers the phone. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. We're going to pick our Super Bowl prop bets and our Super Bowl winner. Coming up next, 
Uh, fan weather. No, it's not time for fan weather. See, now I'm all thrown off. I told you this is like the day after a wedding. That's really what it feels like, or the day after a funeral, which in this case was the funeral for Cook and Joe yesterday. Now all the distractions are gone, and I'm left to contend with my feelings here. And I'm very sad that Ron's not here. Very sad that we had no fights today. Fan Twitter brought to you by South Hills Kia, Peters Township. Visit them at southhillskia.net. Text line brought to you by Edgar Snyder and Associates. Personal injury law firm where they always say there's never a fee unless we get money for you. Social media's biggest loser, Mulsey, brought to you by Awaken 180 Weight Loss. And Mulsey does, he looks great, I'll tell you. I was just back in the bullpen back there. I said, you look like you weigh a buck 80 right now, Mulsey. Um, reserve your consultation today at awaken180weightloss.com. Any luck, Sean? No luck, but based, okay. based on precedent, maybe he'll call in. Yeah, that's okay. We'll live. The time right now, one thirty. time to call Shenderovich, Shenderovich and Fishman. Why pay 40% when you can pay 25%? Call 888-98-TWINS. JP Roofing and Siding. You want to talk about championship football games, this guy is the champion in his business, I'll tell you that. Began it 42 years ago today, huddled with his mustache, and they hatched a plan. Let's do roofing and siding together for the rest of our lives. And so they have, and they've done it like nobody else. Platinum Preferred Company, nationally recognized company. They've been out to my house a couple times, did impeccable work. I haven't worried about one thing since they came out. Twice they came out. Um, it was raining in the family room. That wasn't good. And also, there was some problem where uh, doors wouldn't open because of uneven siding, something. I, I don't know. If I did, I would have fixed it. They did. They fixed it. And I didn't worry about it. $500 off right now. Any roofing or siding installation for homeowners, give them a call at JP Roofing and Siding. 412-829-7711. That's 829-7711. This is sad. This is going to bring it all home. Uh, what's cooking? Brought to you by your local Geico rep, Tim Hester. Thank you, Mr. Hester. Very kindly. Also brought to you by Mr. Reuter. Thank you, Mr. Reuter. Call 412-Reuter2. This is horrifyingly sad. Would you agree, Sean? Yeah, it just wasn't the same without him, despite your best impersonation 50 minute mark on the fan brought to you by south hills chrysler jeep dodge route 19 in peters township celebrating 50 years in the south hills truly missing ron today i am i mean this is gonna be the type of thing where it doesn't hit you until after after the fact i'm lost here right now he was one of a kind certainly Fan weather brought to you by Sun Chevrolet. Check out special financing for qualified buyers on new Silverado 1500 trucks. Really warm, sunny day. High of 62. Rain possible tomorrow. All right, man. Uh, what's our out time here? 54? Let's talk. Oh, no. First, Sean, don't call me. Seth Myers did some very intrepid reporting here. I just talked to Willie Parker and had a question that I failed to ask him written down about Sean Alexander saying that if they played 100 times, he was the Seahawks running back, of course, in Super Bowl 40, Seattle would have won 99 of those times. I forgot to ask him. And we were going to call him back, and Sean did, and he called you back again. And did you ask him that question? 
I sure did. What did so, he say? First off, whether he was playing coy or not, I don't know. He said, what did Sean Alexander say? I'm not aware of it. Okay. So then I told him, and he, he laughed for about 30 seconds. And <laughs> and then his, his comment was, the best team won that game. He said, I understand why he said that. He might have a point. We'll never know, but the best team won that game, and that's really what mattered. I agree, and I know there were questionable calls, and uh, whatever the official's name was that I forgot yet, uh, Bill, what was the official's name? Bill Levy. Said he'll go, he, he would go to his grave thinking about calls he missed in that game. I, I mean, one was a ticky-tack offensive pass interference. I get it, but it's not the end of the world. It's not like the, the, the uh, Saints missed pass interference a couple of years ago or anything like that. It was nothing I didn't think that egregious, and the best team won. How about not let Randall L beat you on a, on, you know, a touchdown pass and Willie Parker on a 75-yard run and don't throw the ball to Ike Taylor? Now, you probably didn't think he would catch it. I wouldn't blame you for that, but he did that time. And you lost the game. Sean, instead of doing the prop bet thing that everybody does, I'm going to go to eight facts here about the game. And these were presented by... Uh, Peter Schrager from Good Morning Football. You like that show? I love that show. Sure do. I watch it all the time. Listen to these facts going into this game, and this could inform people's um, prop bets and things like that. Rasheed Rice needs six catches to break Jamar Chase's record of 25 catches for a rookie in the postseason. This guy's becoming a star. Are you aware of that? I I would have had no idea about that stat until you said it. Me neither. But I'll tell you this much about the Chiefs, because here's another one from Peter Schrager. Get this one. The Chiefs' defense is the youngest in the NFL and could be the youngest defense to ever win a Super Bowl with an average age of 25 years and 279 days old. The moral of the story, anybody who thinks like Patrick Mahomes and company aren't going to get a bunch of other cracks at the can, as they say, is out of their minds. He has an emerging star at receiver and the youngest defense in football. And as I told Ron a couple weeks ago, I'm not comparing this defense to the great defenses of all time. Don't get me wrong. But they were the only one in the league to finish top two in points, sacks, yards, and turnovers. And they didn't allow 30 points once all season. Do you know who did allow 30 points once in a season? The 85 Bears. The 85 Bears. And the 76 Steelers and the 2000 Ravens and the 2013 Legion of Boom. They all allowed 30 points. Not this one. The youngest defense in football. This is depressing. And Mahomes himself is only 28. This is kind of, to some extent, they they had a change of philosophy. They didn't want to give Tyreek Hill that big contract. And they were able to save money there, get draft picks, and now kind of re- form their team built a lot with some young defensive players, as you mentioned. An unbelievably brilliant move by them. How much do they miss Tyreek Hill? Oh, I don't know. They've now been to the Super Bowl twice without him. The third fact, Isaiah Pacheco with a win would be the first starting running back to win a Super Bowl in each of his first two NFL seasons. Did you know that, Sean? Absolutely not. Of course you didn't, and neither did I. These, again, are courtesy of Peter Schrager, Good Morning Football. Brock Purdy can become the first starter drafted in the seventh round to win the Super Bowl. We know of a guy in the sixth round who won many, but not the seventh. How about them apples? 
And he was barely even drafted in the seventh round. And the Steelers, there was talk they could have drafted him in the fifth round. You think history changes if they draft Brock Purdy? I think he might have gotten cut. Yeah, they cut uh, Ola Duckin or whatever his name was. <laughs> Duckin? He's at the Super Bowl. He's on the Chiefs practice squad. He could lead them to the Super Bowl next year if Mahomes gets hurt. What if they elevate him for this game? That would be tremendous. Listen to this one. Sean, don't call me Seth Myers, who I might add for the people out there is a 49ers fan. And you didn't know this, I don't think. The 49ers could become the first team to overcome deficits of seven-plus points in the divisional round, the conference championship, and the Super Bowl. How about that? I did not know that, but it would be a reversal of fortunes from the last time they played the Chiefs because it was the Chiefs who came from behind multiple scores in the fourth quarter that time. Yes, and also a reversal of fortunes from... Kyle Shanahan as the offensive coordinator in Atlanta calling idiotic pass plays when they consult the game away with a field goal, getting sacked, and being part of the biggest choke job in Super Bowl history other than Norwood's field goal. Correct? Yeah, I I would actually say as far as choke job, that was the biggest one. So would I. If the 49ers score eight or more points, Peter Schrager says, they would break the Patriots' record of all-time Super Bowl points at 246. The Steelers are fourth with 193. Did you know that, Sean? Of course you didn't. I did not. I hope they score more than eight. Travis Kelsey could become the first tight end to have 100-plus receiving yards in multiple Super Bowls. Gronk never did it. Yeah, that's surprising. I would have figured with all of his opportunities, he would have gone over multiple times. I still can't believe Antonio Gates didn't make the Hall of Fame. That's shameful. Uh, That is shameful. He is more receiving touchdowns than any tight end in history. Period. End of story. Hall of Fame first ballot. Maybe someone thought he wasn't great in the locker room, apparently. I guess not. That news came out today. That Well, it's a long story. You can read about it on our website. Um, Patrick Mahomes has thrown 203 postseason passes without an interception. If he throws 35 more of those in the Super Bowl, he breaks Brady's record of 237 in a row. How about them apples? And if you can tell me who picked, who was the last person to pick off Mahomes in a playoff game, I'll treat you to uh, a nice dinner. It was T.J. Watt. No, I think that was a strip sack. It's a very good guess. Vaughn Bell in the 21 AFC title game. Harrison, what's his name? Butker. Kicker? Yeah, Butker. Needs three field goals to pass Vinatieri and Steven Goskowski for most field goals in Super Bowl history. How about them apples? I got to stop saying that, huh? How about them oranges? What do you think of this? Is yeah. Vinatieri, Vinatieri, by the way, is eligible for the Hall of Fame next year. Should he get in? Yeah, I, th- I mean, there's kickers in there already, right? George Bland is in there. and Jan Stenerud is in there, so yes. He yeah, if you're going to get kickers in, then he deserves, and, and Tucker, I think, will be in there eventually, too. With 116 million viewers, this game would be the most watched Super Bowl in history. It's already the most expensive ticket and the most expensive ad buy. So if CBS can get 116, it'll surpass last year's as the most watched Super Bowl in history. That will happen. I agree. And I'm picking Kansas City to win the game. You're picking San Francisco. I'm picking Mahomes to be MVP. How about you? I am going to say it will be Christian McCaffrey. Very good, Sean. It's been a pleasure. It's been quite a week here, and I thought that the most appropriate way to finish this, actually, you reminded me that you had this. 
is the best of the final week of Ron Cook. I'm sure you recognize most of these voices. Sean put this together. Credit to you. It's been a pleasure doing the couple shows I did with you this week. Also, uh, Nelly and City Limits did a great job. Do I owe you anything else today, or am I done? You are sitting pretty, my friend. Let's take a listen to this then. Great job. Uh, My name is Jim Leland, (laughs) and I want to congratulate Ron Cook on his retirement. There's going to be a lot of Pittsburghers disappointed. They've enjoyed you so many years, and uh, certainly I'm one of them, and I want to congratulate you, although I think you're you're probably doing this to just to take a little bit of attention away from the Super Bowl, but that's okay. <laughs> you have always been very great to me, very gracious. You've always treated me as a person, not a story, so I have always appreciated uh, your coverage. First of all, I'm glad you're, you're finally retiring. You won't call me Jack Lambert anymore. <laughs> I've done it twice, twice, twice. To be honest with you, I always, I always thought Bob Smizek was a great writer. So uh, I'm not I'm not even good. <laughs> oh, oh, Jack. I'll tell you, Jack is one of the few people who knew about this a long time oh. ago. I confided in him, yeah. um, and he's been on our show so many times. And I always say he taught me more about football than anybody. <laughs> Hey, uh, long-time caller, first-time listener, big fan of the show. Uh, it's not going to be the same without Ron. No offense, Starkey or Bob Pompiani. Um, <laughs> but without Ron, it's just not going to be the same. This man is the reason I covered the Steelers for 37 years. Post-Gazette had hired somebody else to cover the Steelers, and Ron was working at the uh, covering them for the press. And at training camp, Ron beat his brains in. I mean, <laughs> this guy was coming out with a nice cushy story, and Ron would come out with a bang, a big news story. And it was happening so often. It's Ron's daughter. The party. No one <laughs> is, means more than her to me. You're right. Hi, Taylor. How you doing, baby? Taylor. Hi. I wanted to congratulate you on your retirement. I never thought I'd see the day come. <laughs> And, and, Ron, I just want to say on behalf of, of every player that's ever played in, in Pittsburgh, thank you for your coverage and what you have, have done. But not only that, what you've meant uh, to the city of Pittsburgh and to all the listeners um, that follow you day in and day out religiously, thank you for uh, you being yourself and, and being authentically you. Thank so you, Jerome. We appreciate you. Thank you. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. T-Mobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.